And you're listening to Sunglasses at Night podcast. It is the 2000s wrap up. It sure is. This is the podcast where normally we go back through a year in history via the ARIA charts, looking at the number ones from the Australian Recording Industry Association for that year. But this is the end of the aughts, so we're doing our uh, decade wrap up. And yeah, having a look back through time at what was still... Looking back, a kind of confusing decade. I was talking about this to someone mm. on the train the other day, and we were saying it's very easy to define the 90s and the 80s yep. in terms of musical styles, but also fashion and stuff. There's a kind of look from that era. And I was saying, I didn't really think there was one for the aughts. But were then, either but too she close? Said, yeah, she said, well, maybe we're too close. Like yep. with the 90s, it took a while to, you know. Yeah. But yeah. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's sort of it's it's pretty easy to pin down the '90s and the '80s, but the 2000s it's a little bit post. The start of it still has a bit of '90s leftover stuff, but then yeah. we're moving into a new direction because um, you know the internet's getting more prominent. The yeah. internet didn't, you know, that was really a late '90s thing where people started using yeah. that. So you started post getting monoculture. That. So there's no one big thing everyone's yeah. obsessed with at the time, other than you know news, international news and stuff. Yeah, but, f- but you're right. Fashions are like when people start doing. 2000s Y2K parties or something mm. maybe that's okay but if someone's doing we're do, I'm doing a themed 2005 <laughs> party it's like I was alive then I've got no fucking idea no, what even, I should be getting involved with when I struggled back to think of what was in fashion among I lived in Fremantle at yep. that time which was a fairly young uh, population so there a lot of cool people hipsters and also just you know people going to nightclubs dressed up in waiting in line outside and even the stuff that I'm thinking of that they wore that was cool at the time, it was all throwbacks to yeah. stuff. There was 80s attire for the women. There was that brief period where they dressed like the Bogans from my high school where mm-hmm. everyone wore skin-tight black jeans and uh, artificially weathered Def Leppard shirts. <laughs> yeah. There was um, that 70s rocker thing where all the guys started wearing Chelsea boots and tight oh, yeah. jeans and boot-cut jeans and, like, scarves tied around their necks and shit. Yeah. But all of this stuff is just rehashes of old things, like sometimes multiple, you know, rehashes. I think what yeah. you're trying to say, Tom, is that there's been no innovations in fashion since the Hypercolor <laughs> T-shirt. Once no, that, no. Once that came along, fabric that could be two colours depending on That's the temperature right. that was it since then it's just all rehashing old shit since they frosted that last tip yeah you know, exactly men's fashion really hasn't done anything new correct yeah so what happened in the decade Have you? what are you, well, you going to tell me about well music wise yep. I won't bother going through current events because it's a whole decade music yep. wise um, Eminem became the best selling rapper of all time and the most commercially successful artist of the decade across all mm. genres like you know that really signalled the, the the start, or if you will, the putting your foot down of hip-hop dominating pop music on through the aughts, 2010s and up to today. You yeah, know, that was like, this is just, this is the style of hip-hop. Now. Well, even um, pop songs will have that rap verse in yes. them. So. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it doesn't mean that's, o- that's the only thing that no, pop no. sounds like. It's just, it took over from rock, basically, yep. which was... Uh, in the 2000s, whole new genres of rap opened up, including southern hip-hop, 
crunk, hi-fi, alternative hip-hop, dirty south, snap music, trap music, ringtone rap, backpack rap, microwave rap, underpants rap, playboy rap, thugged-out ballads, and yep. of course, ho-wop, a genre ho-wop, that consists yep. of exactly one song, Fuck You, I Don't Want You Back by Eamon, which isn't think, technically yeah. rap or indeed music. What's what's long term? Do you see Ho Wop being bigger than <laughs> backpack rap? Do you think? I think if he's playing the long game. Yes, yep. I think it's coming back. It's yep. probably yeah. <laughs> it's, it Some of those I, don't, I honestly don't know what they even are. Like you know, I don't know what half of them are either. But, um, <laughs> no, certainly. If you pointed a gun at me and said, Tom, what's the difference between snap music and trap music, I would probably struggle. <laughs> Traps, what, was, what was your favourite of the hip-hop trends, do you think? Well, I do like backpack rap just because <laughs> I thought it was real fake and then I watched that Kanye West documentary and he used to perform on stage with a backpack. Oh, so, really? Yeah. I thought it was more I thought it was more like a sort of a metaphor for something and then it turned out that it was also quite literal at times too. But yeah. um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say because I don't know all the names of the subgenre as well, but I sort of just, I don't know, thing, things stand out, don't they? Like just certain rappers that are better than others or sort of what's well, it's a sample based music so if you're doing interesting things with samples that's, that's probably more interesting than like because once it gets a name like oh it's trap then everyone else just goes oh that's what we're doing with that now we're yeah do that sort of thing so I quite liked um, was cr- a crunk is crunk the one that had crumping with it or are they separate things um, I mean, crumping was more of the dance. Yep. But yeah, I'm not sure whether that went with crunk or not, but crumping was around at that time. And yep. I do remember that because it gave people an excuse to do really stupid dances at parties, which yep. were quite entertaining. And sometimes, and there was a bit of a return, sometimes even to that the thing that I thought we'd lost with um, the people not doing uh, breakdancing so much anymore, which was two straight guys with an elaborately choreographed two-person dance routine where one guy's swinging the other guy through the legs while they do the caterpillar and stuff like that, you know, and there's not enough of that on the dance floor. Sometimes it does require clearing the whole dance floor to let people dance in the middle, like it's fucking dirty dancing from the 80s or something, but, you know, if they've got a good routine, then go for it. If you clear the the floor, you better have a good routine. Exactly, exactly. It's not the time to just bust out a bum press or something like that. No, exactly. Can you imagine if in dirty dancing they clear the floor instead of doing the lift they just broke out sort of some sort of proto you know macarena or something people would have just been throwing shit at them going and it was the 50s as well mm. and even then they wouldn't have been impressed yeah my, uh, my favorite hip-hop trend though yep. of the aughts was uh, ghost writing um are you familiar with that <laughs> no. uh it was popularized by high feast uh, e40 song tell me when to go um if you're not familiar it involves uh putting your car in neutral yeah and then slowly rolling it down the street and then climbing out of the car and dancing alongside your car while it rolls yeah if you want to lose an hour on the internet during a slow day at work youtube (laughs) ghost ride the whip fail (laughs) the whip being your car which is basically just a bunch of people trying to film themselves ghost riding and crashing their cars into this fantastic (laughs) yeah it's hilarious so yeah on the downside anyway if you liked uh, guitar based pop stuff you were in trouble during the aughts let's be honest yep uh, the decade started with a whole new wave of shitty pop punk even though the last wave of shitty pop punk was still putting out albums the year 2000 saw the release of blink 182's fourth album and green day's sixth album for instance 
Emo appeared and disappeared nearly as fast, although it did inject a much-needed note of whining like a little bitch into the <laughs> shittier forms of metal. Um, if you weren't into that, you could choose from a slice of delicious fourth-wave post-grunge from Creed, Stained, Puddle of Mud, Daughtry, Nickelback, Alter Bridge, Shine Down, Seether, Switchfoot, Splash Log, Bloodshot, Queefleg, Rinse Nut, Shit Wipe, or Three Doors Down... Uh, yeah, for people who like their new music from the same decade, Metalcore took off just as everyone was getting thoroughly jack of new metal. It reawakened, did. That's yeah, true. yeah, reawakened a general interest in all sorts of existing metal genres as well, like black metal, death metal, and thrash and stuff. And while that was happening, hard rock dinosaurs like ACDC, Metallica, Aerosmith, and Bon Jovi were still putting out albums and filling massive arenas, uh, as they continue to do to this day, in fact. In 2008, Guns N' Roses dropped the long-awaited album Chinese Democracy after (laughs) more than a decade. There's really only three options when a work of art takes that long to arrive. James Cameron, looking in your fucking direction. Either it blows people's minds, like Fear Inoculum or something, it blows people's minds with how shit it is, like the hateful eight, say, or everyone just goes, eh, and goes back to Googling hottest new indie band starting with The yeah. from, you know, whatever's going around at the time. What was your favourite The band, Ben? Um, oh, from this fan. period? Yeah, from... I was a fan of The Vines, The Hives, The Shins, The Greats, The Radiohead and The Anal Cunt. Oh, uh, yeah. The gee, that's a good question. I don't know. That was like um, a five-year period where if your band didn't start with the, you might as well throw your boot cut jeans in the trash. Yeah, yeah. Look, that's uh, you. I'll have to get back to you on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, from that particular period, I'm not. I'm sure there were so many of them though. The vines though, they were great, weren't they? Because it was um, the guy was like oh, Kurt Cobain's dead, so I could just <laughs> pretend to be him. Um, it didn't last that long, though, did it? But no, no. He definitely, they, they definitely went full Nirvana, though, so respect for I quite just like going guy, all in actually. on something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. He was um, legitimately bipolar. He was, like, undiagnosed bipolar, so he was just correct. So putting him on tour, like, he just smoked heaps of weed every day, which has the usual effect it does on people with mental illness, e.g., temporarily alleviates it while making it much worse yeah. in the long term. So they would go on tour and he just couldn't fucking deal with people at all yeah. as you could. So when he was sort of flipping out on stage, that was just him legitimately flipping out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But sure. I know what you mean. They were huge for a hot minute. They were the first band, they were the first Australian band on the cover of Rolling Stone since Australian crawled in oh, like shit. 1986 really? on the cover of American Rolling Stone. Yeah, I should yeah, wow. say. So people thought they were going to be huge, but yeah. Yeah. It wasn't to be. It wasn't to be. There's a fa- there's a MTV Music Awards from this era where the it, it's it's there is not a single guitar note played through the entire two hours or whatever. And then for the final act, they have the Hives versus the Vines. Oh, good. Like back to back, and they give them both like two minutes each to perform like cut down versions of their shortest songs. And yeah, the Hives definitely put in a better performance. Yeah, but yeah, the vines get to trash the stage at the end. So. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, look, I'm glad you brought up Chinese Democracy, Tom, because yeah, it, it, <laughs> use your illusion one and two, the double set, the um, I think uh, sweat and suit Nelly style. Yeah. Um, they sort of preempted Nelly by a few years, but they came out in I think like '91 or '92. Yeah. So it had been a good 16 years, um, and you may recall that Pepsi at the time said if Chinese Democracy comes out. Before the end of the decade, um, 
If it doesn't, sorry. No, if it... Was it? If, yeah, if Guns N' Roses drop Chinese democracy before the end of the decade, we'll give everyone a free Pepsi. Because they just assumed <laughs> it wouldn't happen. And then it did happen. And oh they had to give God. away heaps of Pepsis. Oh, really? So, <laughs> okay. That's how unlikely people thought that that album coming mm. out... I think this was in the... It was either the UK or the US. But yeah, Pepsi went, yeah, okay. And they just got... If people... Like, there was some sort of thing we had to yeah. go online and do some bullshit. But that apparently <laughs> you'd get a free Pepsi. So people didn't think it was coming out. You're right. It finally came out after fucking forever. Everyone just sort of went, yeah, it's okay, I guess. You've spent 15 years and purportedly $10 million on this. I mean, it sounded like what you would think. It sounded like an album that might have been okay at some point but had been overproduced <laughs> to death Reworked. by someone endlessly redoing it you know yep, yeah definitely it's, it sounded like if you replaced Slash with a guy wearing a KFC bucket on his head yeah. it sort of had that vibe ironically that's <laughs> um, what it sounded like <laughs> definitely definitely um, so in I was just going to talk a bit about music distribution Tom you sure okay with yeah, that? just no. for a quick second so um it was an interesting decade, the 2000s, in the sense that in the year 2000, the CD obviously still reigned supreme as a format for albums and the, the CD single. Yeah. So 2000 was actually the highest year for CD sales. Um, yeah, 2.45 billion CDs were sold really? in the year 2000. Okay. That's yeah. more than I would have thought. Yeah, so quite a lot. Um, I mean, that's still one third of the population of the planet bought a CD that year. That's yeah, not a lot. bad, really. Pretty good. So 2.45 billion. Napster launched in June of 1999, uh, and the iPod came out in 2001, the original iPod. Yeah. And that was those two things really combined were clearly <laughs> exactly the beginning of the Plain. end for the CD. So. Because rather than people dropping, you know, $30 in Australia or probably 18 US dollars for an album that might have had one or two songs on it, all of a sudden you realised you could get those one or two songs for free mm. by simply going online to Napster, which I think at its peak had 20 million users just getting yeah. free music. Um, so that was, that was crazy. So we obviously went from that shift from CD, digital downloads, initially illegally and then legally with when... Um, with the iPod, obviously, yep. also the Apple store came along. I'm the Apple Music store. Yeah. So people were buying shit off that. So then all of a sudden, yeah, same with Napster. You just got the songs that you wanted, put them onto your iPod, and off you yeah. went. So we went from the CD singles to CD singles and digital downloads. And by the end of the decade, um, pretty much as we saw, the price of those CD singles for dog shit songs are all of a sudden like 5 or $10, yeah. whereas previously they were like $0.03, cents. and that's because <laughs> they just didn't make as many. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Spotify then launched in 2006, <laughs> and it took a bit of time for it to get going, obviously. Yeah. By 2011, though, it had 1 million subscribers, and today it has 180 million paid subscribers. So yeah, 2006, we were yeah. starting the streaming sort and, of thing. And, and that kind of, in the space of 10 years, pretty much put off, that, that pretty much killed illegal downloading Yeah, as absolutely. Well. Once, and legal downloading. I don't think people really buy MP3s yeah. these days. So the MP3... Gen Z don't. They just no, use sort of came YouTube along. or Spotify. Yeah. That's what, so we sort of... Year 2000, um, yeah, MP3 is just sort of coming along as a way to purchase music. And by the end of the decade, it was basically over already because people had just gone on to streaming. So this year, though, actually, sorry, end of last year, 2021, 
Um, in the US, 40 million CDs were sold. So quite the, the yeah, drop from 2.45 billion. Yeah. But that was actually uh, a slight increase for the first time in 17 years that there was a slight uptick in CD sales, <laughs> okay. weirdly. So, so that's that? sort of uh, last year, 2021. Oh, okay. So slight uptick. So that's it. We've gone, and I think next decade when we do the podcast, we're going to find that um, we're going to get to a point where there are no discog things because I think a lot of these physical yeah. copies from CDs aren't going to exist anymore it's just going to be streaming that's basically yeah, it yeah so. and the charts will just be plays whatever they define plays as yep. being yeah or down like paid downloads whatever that costs yep but yeah cool. even then I mean it's just be hard to track like how you even count that you know if nobody's buying music one song at a time anymore then how do you even I think in, on the billboard charts a hundred paid streams is equal to one purchase yeah. And 600 free streams, if you've got a Spotify free account or something, <laughs> equals one purchase. So you've okay. got to stream a lot of music to sort of get so to They don't really zone. equate, but I suppose you've got, they to, don't. Measure, you've got they, to measure they it they somehow, do don't you? Yeah. You have to arbitrarily pick something out of a hat. Maybe. Exactly. So yeah, so that's the big change. Because I think when we looked at the 80s, it was basically just seven-inch singles and singles, mm. And the 90s was, yeah, basically just CD singles for pretty yeah. much the whole time. And now we've sort of gone through that shift. So, Oh, one thing that did come back, though, that started to come back at the end of the aughts was vinyl. Oh, yeah. Vinyl started creeping back. I think, oh, fuck, I should have looked that up. There was a year which was the first year that vinyl sales increased since, like, 1992 or something. Yeah, and I think that was in the aughts. Yeah, absolutely. And now, it, um, yeah, vinyl sales are obviously quite big. So yeah, it was it was really interesting to see that happen. Like record shops started to sort of, um, yeah, indeed. Oh well, here you go. Another year. This is this year. Another year marks another high note struck by vinyl album sales. Vinyl sales in the US increased twenty one point five million units in twenty twenty to 41.7 million units last year. Okay. So it almost doubled in a year. So they started creeping back at the end when it went from... It was only DJs for a while kept vinyl alive. Yep. And then uh, uh, hipsters, basically. People Indeed. started wanting to have physical copies again. Yep. But not shitty scratched pieces of plastic that lasted for however long you could <laughs> keep them away from your little sister. Exactly. They wanted actual big... Things with cool artwork and stuff. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah. So Sorry that's that. that. Yeah, I was just going to mention some records, uh, music-wise. Uh, in 2001, J-Lo debuted at number one in the Billboard chart and the R&B hip-hop chart with her first album and her film, The Wedding Planner, one of Ooh. your personal favourites. Yeah, I know. My, my personal just favourite. quickly summarise the plot of that. <laughs> She's a wedding planner. <laughs> ah, see. Way ahead of me. But I think... <laughs> The wedding planner falls in love oh, with the guy who she's planning the wedding of for. All the people she could fall in love with, or something along those lines. <laughs> and who plays that guy? Um, <laughs> I've not seen it, Tom. <laughs> Someone who's got a huge amount of natural chemistry with her, I bet. Uh, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so she had a number one in the Billboard chart and a number one in the R&B hip hop chart with her first album and her film, The Wedding Planner, opened at number one. Making okay. her the first performer in history to have a film and album at number one the same week. Okay. Like, not even Barbara Streisand or Merritt managed that or Liza Minnelli or anything. Wow. Uh, the 2006 song Hips Don't Lie was considered the best-selling single of the decade. Ooh. And Shakira took it to number one in the USA, UK, Australia and Latin charts simultaneously. 
Madonna's Sticky and Sweet tour in 2008-2009 became the highest grossing female tour and the highest grossing solo performer tour of all time, making 408 million in 85 shows, so getting towards half Jesus. a billion. And that broke a record she'd set in the same decade twice already. So she had three times in the aughts she had the highest grossing tours. Uh, uh, Fergie broke some download, rec- download records we can safely ignore. I think most <laughs> nine-year-olds borrowing mum's credit card to download a song about blowing a dude for jewellery was one of them. <laughs> Good. Uh, in 2009, Readers of Billboard voted Best Album of the Decade as the 2001 release Invincible by Michael Jackson, oh, Jesus. which tells you everything you need to know about people in 2009 who are still physically reading something called <laughs> Billboard. Uh, and in 2006, R&B artist Rob Robin Thicke topped the R&B charts with Lost Without You. Ooh. That's that's a U, the letter U. Oh, yeah. He was the first white artist to top these charts since George Michael. Okay. His album, The Evolution of Robin Thicke, went on to be certified platinum by the RIAA, which just goes to show that R&B is a bullshit genre and needs to get chucked down a hole. That's not a record, that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Also, if Robin Thicke evolved, I can only wonder what he looked like beforehand. I'm guessing yeah. just sort of some sort of peanut with stubble on it. <laughs> I think so. Um, who's your favourite member of that family? Is it Alan <laughs> Thicke or is it Robin Thicke? Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, Alan Thicke was a horrible creep who started in a bunch of shitty sitcoms. Yep. But then he didn't make me listen to anything. Yeah, that's true. Look, I think, you know, as a Growing Pains fan, um, <laughs> I think he played the dad well. So the father to the, the Kurt Cameron character. I, think so I kind of say what you like about Robin Thicke, but I do kind of like the inherent sweaty desperation of a man who uh, drives his partner to break up with him and then regrets it so much he writes a whole pathetic album trying to win her back oh yeah you know I kind of like that I admire that more than I admire the Kanye West thing of doing some weird you know MRA incel album about how he's going to stab your boyfriend or some bullshit yeah at least the sweaty desperation is kind of heartfelt yeah exactly no respect to that it didn't work obviously no it didn't (laughs) it didn't but you know power to him so Tom uh Ari Chart stats. Oh, yeah, sorry. I was waiting for that. Number ones, 168 number ones sure. in the decade. So there are 129 in the 90s, so a bit of a step up. So okay. we've got more. Um, artists with the most number ones, Delta had eight songs. Yep. We talked about her way too much. Probably already knew that. Yeah, most songs at number one, Black Eyed Peas, 28 weeks. Fucking hell. Longest song at number one was Eminem, Lose Yourself for 12 weeks. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we already knew that. So, uh, and in comparison, America, they had 129 number ones. So we had a few more than those guys at 168. UK had 275 number ones. So wow. they're just fucking they all over like the place. One hit wonder they love there. a dog shit novelty song that sticks around for they about one sure week. Um, and New Zealand had 170, so about the same as Australia. So interesting in the US, Usher had seven number ones. In the US over okay. the decade, but he only got the one here. Yeah. With, yeah. That's the one that people liked. Yeah, I can't even. Um, Westlife had 11 number ones in the UK. Fucking hell. Mm-hmm. And uh, in New Zealand, their favourite artist of the decade, Akon. Dave Dobbin. Oh, <laughs> Akon. Akon. Okay. Seven number ones for that okay. dude. Not quite sure why, but there you go. Yeah. Um, interestingly, 50 of the 168 number ones are Australian. 
So that was about 30%. About one in three songs is Australian. So that's up from the 90s where it was only 13%. Wow. So a lot more number ones from Australia yeah. um, this decade. That's and good. yeah, that was pretty good. And the other one was America, which had 90. So yeah. they were about over half of that. And then there were a heap of other ones with a couple UK, Sweden, Russia, New Zealand, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, from a genre perspective, pop. 40%, sure. so most songs are pop, <laughs> doesn't surprise you, but um, you're right, Tom, rock was way down, so it was 26% in the night, about a quarter of songs yeah, of rock and songs. and even then, I'm guessing this is a pretty charitable definition. It was very, I think if it had guitars in it, yeah. I sort of said it was, um, yeah, that. Uh, two songs, number one, from a cartoon, so there you go, <laughs> so that was pretty good in terms of artist type. Ugh. Uh, most number ones this decade were solo females. Forty percent were from solo wow, females. Okay. Whereas in the nineties, only nineteen percent were solo yeah. females. So pumped through, and that's probably explained by the fact that there are a lot of Delta songs, a lot of Kylie songs. Yeah. So, well, it was the singer songwriter, Pink, but yeah, sort of also a lot of hip hop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So girl that's, groups. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much that. One hit wonders. In the decade, there wasn't that many actually, so 20%. So, <laughs> one in five, <laughs> one in wonders. Same as the 90s, it was a lot. Yeah. And um, songs from TV shows, 15%. There were 24 of them from fucking oh, okay. X Factor and all that. Oh, bullshit. yeah, so yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. That shit sucks. So, there you go, there's some stats. Um, but yeah, good to see that solo female up and Australian artists were up. Yeah. So, um, but negative to see that there was heaps of TV garbage and one-hit wonders. So yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, respect to New Zealand, Akon. They fucking love that guy. There. <laughs> well, Who he knew? showed up a lot here, but he was always doing stuff with other people. It yep. was always featuring Akon, or they were discovered by Akon. Yeah. Whatever the hell we figured out. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck knows? <laughs> Absolutely funded by Akon's blood diamond mine yep. or whatever. Cool. So um, should we have a look at some of those international number ones? Some yes. of the tracks that. Didn't quite make it to number one here in Australia, but other countries just couldn't fucking get enough yes. of it. They loved it. Yeah. So, what do you got for me? Um, okay, well, uh, as previously, I covered uh, Europe and the UK. Yep. Um, first up, I had uh, France, uh, the Bratis- Bratisla boys. Ooh. Stash, stash. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> That's spelled S-T-A-C-H, S-T-A-C-H. Uh, this song was first performed as a parody of the Eurovision Song Contest ah. on the French TV show Morning Live, hosted by French comedian Michael Yoon and his two friends and broadcast on the M6. The lyrics, roughly translated, are as follows. Bing, tittle, tittle, bong, bong, tittle, tittle, bang, bang, tittle, tittle, bung, bong. Oh, sorry. Those are the lyrics from Bing, tittle, tittle, bong, which was a Monty Python song taking the piss out of Eurovision having nonsense lyrics in 1969, approximately 33 years <laughs> earlier than this. Uh, anyway, Michael Yoon thought it was time for another crack with a Kmart synthesizer preset backbeat <laughs> and lyrics that translate as... Kurukuku rukuku stash dash kurukuku rukuku stash dash kurukuku rukuku stash dash. Now, if you're thinking hmm, that doesn't sound like English, well, that's because it's not English or French. Mm. It's just made up bullshit and sort of nonsense onomatopoeia words. That sounds fucking annoying as hell. Mm, it is. I mean, it's clearly meant to be a joke. Yeah. The video features three guys in blonde wigs and navy uniforms dancing around and gurning like crazy in front of a green screen. I think the idea is that this is a hit song 
discovered by a forgotten pop group made of Eastern European sailors from like the 80s. So it's sort of supposed to be like a ridiculous 80s Eurovision song. Yep. But I'm having to do a fair bit of reading between the lines there. <laughs> I honestly can't tell if this is a good joke, a bad joke, or some sort of French in-joke that I'm missing out on. I mean, it could be that. Like, imagine trying to contextualise the much higher budget music video of the song Slap My Elbow by Chris Lilly's African-American character S-Mouse yeah, to true. someone from Zimbabwe, or indeed <laughs> 2022. Yeah, anyway, fortunately the French are too discerning for a dumb joke like Stash Dash to go down as anything more than a momentary blip on the pop culture radar. So it only spent six weeks at number <laughs> one. Uh, then three weeks after that, it was back at number one for a week before it got knocked off by a song called Come Come Mania. Uh, then it was back again for three more weeks. So to total weeks at number one. Then 21 weeks in the top 10 and 31 weeks in the top 50. Then certified diamond and the eighth best-selling single of the 21st century in France with 800,000 units sold. That's good. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> the French, really, they like a dog shit novelty song as much as the UK. If we, they do. It's yeah. sort of, it, you know, in many ways, Tom, the, the channel... Culturally, it doesn't separate a lot, does it? You know, I know the French like to feel that they're more sophisticated than the mm. British, but yeah, you know, sure, they've got better cheeses probably and a baguette and all that sort of gear, but when it comes to novelty songs, it seems that both yeah. sides of that channel, they love the same shit. They are responsible for, I think, perhaps the worst novelty song of the last hundred years in my mind, which is that one with the baby oh, that yeah. was just pushing a four-year-old on four year old out on stage and making him rap that was yeah maybe the worst thing i've seen definitely music wise uh what have you got cool tom well we've we've talked about this briefly before but i thought you're doing um i'm, oh, I'm doing new zealand and new america zealand so this america, one's out of yeah. new zealand so yeah. look um it would be remiss of me tom not to mention it in a little bit more detail and that's of course cisco with a thong song so <laughs> sure. um straight off the bat i just want to say that this appeared in nutty professor to the clumps so you know it's good it yep. um and you know where i first you, you know can you remember, Tom, where you were the first time you heard the thong song? Is that sort of something that you... I think you I remember? remember where I was the first time I saw the video. <laughs> the thong song, yeah. Although, it wasn't as pervy as I was hoping, if I no. remember correctly. Um, I remember seeing... I was in Brisbane, Tom, and I remember seeing a cover band perform this twice <laughs> in their set, um, which speaks more to the quality of the song than the quality of the band, I think. Mm. This was produced by the songwriting production duo The Funk Twans, um, Tim Kelly and Bob Robinson. Is the that funk the Funk Twans? Okay. Funk Twans. Is that the worst production team name we've had yet? There's been a few like The Matrix and a few other of that, <laughs> yes. but the Funk Twans is not great, is it? Just going. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a, you know, me and my friend here we're music producers. Oh, cool. Yeah, we call ourselves the Funk Twans. It's just there's the no funk need. Twins, did you say? Funk no, Twans. No, the funk Twans. There's no need. The you, you can just call yourself your names. <laughs> when you're a production duo, not everyone has to be Pharrell and that no. other dude and be, oh, we're the Neptunes. Not everyone has to do that. You can just say, mm. I'm Steve and this is Mike and we do some fucking song production. So, look, it's definitely the worst. In 2008, Cisco released a holiday book for children titled Cisco's Perfect Christmas. <laughs> now, is it a wise move to buy a book for your kids authored by a dude who wrote the thong song I don't really know whether I can I mean when you look at the lyrics I don't know whether these got into the Christmas book but she had dumps like a truck 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 thighs like what 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 baby move your butt butt I think I'll sing it again dumps like a truck truck thighs like what what all night long 
Let me see that thong, the thong, thong, thong. It's just that. <laughs> do you want those lyrics in a kid's book? I don't mm. think you do. So look, but look, the, I would he, like to hear the Christmas version uh, of the thong song. Yeah, I don't know if there is one, but I'll find his Christmas book and we'll see if... Hopefully that'll be available on eBay at some sort of price. He's not a one-trick pony, though. No. Um, he's, a very, he's a very, very versatile artist, is Cisco. He's done a lot of great work. And I think it's, it's really nice when you see an artist grow. So, yes. um, obviously, 20, 20, sorry, 2001, I think, was this? This is really early on in the... In, I think, yeah. I can't, sorry, I didn't write the year down, but... Um, in the 21 years since that, so in 2021, he released a track called La Thong, um, which is just a Spanish language song of the thong. So a lot of artist growth in those 21 mm, years. So yeah, he's really one's called Thong Song, and the other one's called La Thong. They're completely different things. So salute to Cisco for mm. growing as a person. And he's an really taken the uh, Lou Bega route, hasn't he? <laughs> he has. Know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> environmentally friendly musical recycling you yeah, know, yeah. Oh, it is good. I like to think that Cisco was well ahead of his time by pioneering a very popular now uh, style of rap where there's just no melody or any sort of song really nah. it's just kind of vague noodling and someone crapping on absolutely to, but you keep waiting for the actual song to start <laughs> but it doesn't it just never arrived <laughs> Like a bus at a stop that's not running anymore. Yeah, so Australia said not quite good enough for us. I think it reached the top 10, but not number one. But New Zealand, they pumped yeah. that shit. To it the got top a of the fair charts. bit of play. Oh, it on, did. The, the video showed up a lot, unsurprisingly. Yep, yeah. definitely. All right, Tom, what do you got for me? Where Are you, are you staying in Europe or are you heading to the UK? Now? I'm staying in Europe, yep. but we're flying around. We're taking a rail pass. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Limp Biscuit Behind Blue Eyes. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> oath. Taken from Limp's second album, Results May Vary. I think the results were pretty consistent whenever I tried to listen to it, but yeah. yeah. This cover of the Who original reached number one in the Czech Republic and Sweden, plus number two in Denmark, Norway, and Germany. Yeah. Are you a well traveled man, Ben? What yeah. do all those countries have in common, do you think? Oh, Jesus. Um, to get this to number one, yeah. it's, it's really hard to say. I thought the Swedes had better taste in music, personally, yeah, but I'm not sure. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, there is one common link. Yep. Uh, none of them use the English language as their native tongue, <laughs> and neither does Fred Durst, which clearly explains his delivery of the vocals here. Yeah. Uh, in 2011, Rolling Stone readers voted this the second worst cover song of all time. Oh. What was the worst? Well, let me ask you this first. Does voluntarily voting on a Rolling Stone poll in 2011 mean you have less authority on music than most human beings? Yeah. Or more authority to discuss shit music than other human beings? Oh, yeah. I think it's probably the latter. I think if you're reading Rolling Stone and that's your source of music news in 2011, then you probably are well-versed in terrible music (laughs) and therefore have the right to deem what is indeed terrible. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I can't argue with this song's placement at number two, but otherwise their top ten is as uninspired as you'd expect. Mm. Um, Any guesses? For number one, is it is it another yeah, just biscuit any, cover? <laughs> well, it probably could be, couldn't it? Number, is, it is there any Eurobeat covers of things like? Uh, no, it's all shame. kind of lame. We've mentioned a couple of them before, but they're yeah. none of the interesting ones. Number one is Miley Cyrus doing it. Smells like Teen Spirit at some concert. Oh. Dodgy, sure, but it wouldn't even crack my top thousand. Like no. it's not even that bad of a performance. Three is American Pie by Madonna. Yeah, okay, okay yeah. fair enough. 
Uh, four is Sweet Child of Mine by Cheryl Crow, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. isn't even bad. It's just not as good as no. the Guns N' Roses version. Nowhere in the top ten are uh, you going to find Meryl Bainbridge and Shaggy doing I've Got You, Babe. <laughs> Zombie <laughs> by ADAM featuring Yeah, Amy. that's one of the worst. Fallout Boy doing Love Will Tear Us Apart. The Ooh. celebrity lockdown version of Imagine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Take That doing Smells Like Teen Spirit, which is far worse than the Miley version. Nine One One is a joke by Jerry. Duran Duran on live TV My Generation by Hilary Duff Back in Black by Shakira You Shook Me All Night Long by Anastasia and Celine Dion (laughs) The Sound of Silence by Disturbed which I legit originally thought was actually a joke Uh, Do You Think I'm Sexy by Paris Hilton or the 1999 Pop Lounge Covers Collection Fad or the 1999 Pop Scar Covers Collection Fad. In short, Rolling Stone fails so hard they can't even contemplate failure properly, I'm thinking. Look, there's nothing worse than a Scar cover of a pop song. (laughs) I think for me that is about bottom rung. We haven't talked about it a lot, but I think if, you know, anyone that's like, I'm a Scar band, I can't remember who it was, but some Scar cunts did take on me and it was terrible it was it I mean, was really there was really enough bad. scar in the charts at this point anyway they're already having a comeback they didn't even start need to they didn't yep. need to start ruining other people so yeah that paris hilton cover of <laughs> do you think i'm sexy is, is pretty rough um that was at a period of time when paris hilton was she they'd let her do anything that's yeah. they're like i want to do an album it's like can you sing it's like i can't but let's let you do it and i remember reading at the time that paris was apparently just hanging out with her friend at the time rod stewart's daughter mm. they're friends and then paris just went wouldn't it be funny if i covered this and i'll ask my dad and he went oh that would be funny and then i think rod was thinking I'll get some royalties out of this, so that would be amusing, slash I'll make money off this, but terrible, terrible. Yeah, I was glad to see that list because it gave me an excuse to look up the video for Zombie by AD yeah, featuring good. Amy. She's definitely finger-blasting herself <laughs> in yeah, that car. It starts with a woman finger-blasting herself yep. in a hatchback, yep. in a car wash, and then and it the goes, dude jumps out of the boot. Yeah, so, yeah, then it's kind of like a very low-budget prodigy video. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, unfortunately, to get back to Fred Durst uh, the song is dumb as hell the original Who song um, Behind Blue Eyes is a half joke song written from the point of view of Jumbo the bad guy of an unfinished psychedelic sci-fi rock opera called Lifehouse which oh. is where the band got their name did they? no just kidding that would have been too interesting for <laughs> I Lifehouse I didn't see that so, going. Yeah. <laughs> I was like but yeah it was, it was going to be a follow up to Tommy Boy not a follow up oh, just yeah. another musical because that was such a big excuse yep. if Limp Bizkit had done a sort of wiki wiki faith style cover of this nonsense it might have actually risked being fun so instead Fred old blue eyes Durst decided to do a dead straight over serious ass hat version inspired by jacking off to a mirror in a starter cap uh, yeah, this level of onanistic tough guy, no one understands my pain, horse shit, hadn't been seen since the second wave of grunge and exactly zero people were demanding it make a comeback. Mm. Uh, yeah, on top of everything else, given that their next album was Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water, this would have been the perfect time to rename this song Behind Brown Eyes. I think so, you know? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Look, on the plus side, yep. this is a movie song. Oh, is it, it good? Yeah, have you got any guesses? 
Um, Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps? No. Mm, no. It's actually less remembered than that. It was the world-renowned supernatural thriller Gothica with a K starring Halle Berry. Uh, Not only that, but Durst somehow persuaded her to appear in the music video and pretend to be into him. Oh, jeez. Now, some people have criticised Berry for winning an Oscar for a classic never-go-full-retard character and then appearing in films like Swordfish, Catwoman and Die Another Day. But if anything proves you can act, it's standing next to Fred Durst and yep. without bursting into hysterical laughter exactly. at his puffer vest alone. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, I take my hat off to her for that. But Yeah. Look, it's interesting because I think it's safe to say that um, you're right. If they had have done a shitty, you know, DJ lethal on the yeah, just wig it a whack and a new... Like high it, energy. It would have, would have still been shitty, but at least you would pick it... Because that's, that's his bread and butter. He can, yeah. he can do a crappy rap and a bit of a scream and an angry sort of yeah. smash, a, smash something up song. And, you know, it's not for me, but in that role... He plays that perfectly. When he tries to do, I'm going to, anything else, I'm going to actually yeah. try and sing or I'm going to try and be a serious, like, it's fu- he, he doesn't have the talent. He's abysmal. No. So, and I've seen him do try and do it on a couple of other covers, I think, where he says, I'm just going to sing straight down yeah. the barrel and uh, do a proper... It's looking really <laughs> serious. Awful. He's sitting on a chair. It's black and white. So, There's way too many close-ups of his face yeah. looking all moody and shit. Just, yeah. Oh, Exactly. It, yeah, it's you know, it's when gimmicks try and go straight, and it doesn't really work out well. I don't think try and play it straight. So yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah, no. What have you got? Oh look, Tom. Up next, I'm I'm back in New Zealand. Um, oh, okay. Scribe. Not oh, many. Scribe. Not many, if any. Now, <laughs> people often shit on Australian hip hop, Tom, mm-hmm. and rightfully so, as it's almost universally terrible. But is it really our fault? You know. We're a long way away from the birthplace of hip-hop. We're not, Mm -hmm. you know, near New York City, Brooklyn. Maybe, just maybe, you need to have that proximity to the scene to be part of it, you know. Watch the masters in action, learn from that, grow up, take the skills that they've laid down and then sort of do your own thing. Well, Scribe blew that theory out of the water with the song (laughs) Not Many, uh, the quintessential New Zealand hip-hop track, better than anything to ever come out of Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he's obviously from New Zealand. He's really far away from Brooklyn. He's even further away from Brooklyn than what we are. But So he's demonstrated that Australian hip-hop's just terrible because everyone here doing it is fucking awful. So Hilltop Hoods, that's appalling. Um, Anyway, raises a question to... Tom, how many dudes you know roll like this? How many dudes you know flow like this? How many dudes you know have got the skills to rock a show like this? I don't know anybody. So oh, not many. Scribe Art raises that question exactly, and he raises it um, repeatedly because it's, it's a catchy hook. <laughs> it gets things going. So yeah, look, uh, this is a good song. This is my favourite um, hip hop song out of New Zealand ever. So it's probably yeah. more. But Scribe unfortunately became addicted to drugs alcohol and gambling between 2005 and 2007 following lackluster sales of his second album rhyme book the addiction led to his family denying him access to money and he decided to pawn off the platinum awards he'd won for this album which is sad Um, and in 2018 scribe was in prison for two months after breaching his curfew and performing he was released in October 29th, 2018. He was later due in court for methamphetamine possession and breaking a protection order. But he's back now, Tom. He's back. He's, okay. he's put that beside him. <laughs> he's performing with his father and his brother. Uh, at the end of 2021, he performed in front of 25,000 people. So that's oh, pretty okay. good. That's good. And uh, look, 
this is what Scribe said. If you looked at my career, you know, there's a great start, then a fucking horrible middle, but how it ends is up to me. So words to live by. So power to Scribe. Um, He's really only got this one song. So (laughs) when he performs in front of 25,000 people, I'm not sure how he's filling in the rest of the set. Maybe Lou Bega style. He's trying to steal something from um, the scat man. I suspect like like OMC before him, that the hometown knows others of his song. But yeah, I mean, this really was big. It was in a Nike commercial. I remember that, which yep. is, you know, that's a pretty good sign of how well you're doing. Yeah, it was number one in New Zealand for, I think, uh, 12 weeks, I think, as well. So quite a long time. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. cool. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, what do we got here? 2003, we go into the UK for Busted. Who's Ooh. David? Now, are you familiar with Busted? <laughs> not. It sounds good, though. Oh, God. Okay. Well, this was a number one hit in the UK and did fuck all anywhere else. Uh, in case you missed out on the Busted story, don't be alarmed because they were pretty much a UK-only phenomenon. Yeah. Although they were pretty successful within those limits. Uh, in a two-year period, they had two massive albums, sold five million records, had four UK number one songs, plus a bunch of other top ten hits, and then pretty much vanished. Yeah. Uh, they reformed later, but like, you know, 10 years later on the sort of nostalgia tour. If you haven't heard of Busted, uh, let's say you're a Green Day fan and other punk fans are giving you shit and saying, those guys are pop punk, they're from the 90s, they're fucking derivative bullshit. Then you can always chuck on What's My Age Again by Blink-182 and say, uh, I think you're confusing Green Day for this bullshit. Yeah. Meanwhile, across the room, a chick is rocking out to Blink-182 that you just put on and her friend sneers at her and says, hey, this is just overproduced commercial pop. It's a punk for 14-year-old girls. And then she can chuck on some Avril Lavigne and say, no, that's what this shit is. Yep. And downstairs in the rumpus room, an Avril Lavigne fan is humming along while bedazzling a pink lightning bolt onto a pencil case with child-friendly craft glue. And on FaceTime, her friend rolls her eyes and says, Kevin, you're 28 years old. Haven't you grown out of Avril yet? You know, she's AI-programmed dog shit for primary school girls who identify as edgy. And Kevin adjusts the strap on his indoor safety helmet and says, no, you're thinking of Busted. And Kevin's friend says, who? And, you know, that's basically the Busted story. (laughs) I think I've brought up previously the line between vocalists doing an American or a translanding accent, as yep. was common across the Western world in pop until quite recently. Just, it was just de rigueur. If you're going to sing in pop music, you do an American accent regardless of where you're from. But there's a line between that and then just straight up doing an impression. Yeah. Like doing, a, you know, the way someone just imitates another human being. Well, this is three British teenagers with frosted tips pretending to be a SoCal punk band. From their name to their lyrics, everything alludes to experiences they didn't have, schools they didn't go to, girls that don't exist via phrases copied from TV, outfits and haircuts copied from teen movies set in another country, and shitty, fake-ass accents copied from Good Charlotte. Great. It's frankly enough to make you embarrassed on their behalf, or it would be if they weren't smirking little pieces of shit who wrote their own songs and made heaps of money off horny 13-year-olds. Uh, Who's David was their third number one. It came out in 2003, the same year that they won the Disney Channel Kids' Choice Awards. (laughs) Good. Uh, Here's some Kids' Choice lyrics. You've always been this way since high school, flirtatious and quite loud. I find your sense of humour spiteful. It shouldn't make you proud. And I know your pretty face gets you far with guys, but your makeup ain't enough to hide the lies. 
Are you sure that you're mine? Aren't you dating other guys? Because you're so cheap and I'm not blind. You're not worthy of my time. You're just some whore who sleeps around the town. And I've got proof because the word's going around. You left your phone, so I invaded. I hated what I saw. You stupid lying bitch. Who's David? Oh, yeah. I don't know, dude. Maybe some guy who's not a little fucking incel pussy that goes through his girlfriend's phone when she's taking a shit. Yeah. Just in case you thought America was the only country producing AMRA anthems for future workplace shooters, the UK had to go with it with these fucking twats. Oh my god, they're so annoying. Seriously, I just yeah, and actually, legitimately going through this stuff made me glad that they never made it over here, so I didn't yeah. have to listen to them. But yeah. Well, that sounds absolutely appalling. It's so, terrible. It I makes mean, you it makes you appreciate Avril Lavigne. I shit you not. I mean, pop punk's pretty bad at the best of times. So once you're yeah. on sort of some D tier shit, then I can only imagine oh, yeah. how bad it is. Yeah. Especially like it kind of relies on stuff like Blink One Eighty Two and even things like Green Day. They rely on this sort of assumed sense of humor on behalf yep. of the band that hey, we all know pop's kind of dumb, you know, and this is all a bit of a joke, you know. But yeah, yeah. But if you just if you don't have any sense of humor. And you just sort of just smirking at nothing, you know, or, you know, just, yeah. Oh boy, it's awful. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, their last, their, their, that was the third of their four number one hits. Their fourth number one hit was the title track for a film that I'd completely forgotten even existed, which was the big budget live action Thunderbirds <laughs> movie. Do you remember Jesus, that happening? No. That was during that period where they did like, Lost in the Lost in Space movie and all these oh. shitty TV shows. They tried to make a big budget, Fantastic Four style Thunderbirds movie. Yeah, Jeez. weirdly enough, with these guys behind it, you and, know, and the it song, wasn't a big song went straight to the top yeah. though, straight to the top of the charts. <laughs> That's right. Wow, that sounds appalling. Um, what are they doing now, Tom? Do you know, or are they dead? Hopefully well, as I said, up. they did. They reunited in the in the last decade. Okay, and they did big concerts like you know and you look at the audience and there's all these people who look like depressingly young people I guess that's because they were only 12 when they were listening to it the first time yeah. around so now they're only 25 yeah so they don't look they look too old for this shit though but you know singing along and absolutely you know the guys are still handsome they were teenagers when they did this and they did write their own songs and play their own instruments but okay. if the end result of that is that you sound like a bunch of fucking incels yeah. then I'm not sure if I'd be too proud of that no not at all it sounds trash yeah no please what have you got um, Tom I'm still in New Zealand and we're coming at you with Chingy right there <laughs> I like it when you do it right there right there Swing your hips, walk in your... Not down your hur, down your hur. <laughs> the problem is when you say right there, you say right there, then all the r- words that rhyme with there, like hair, you also got to go hur. Mm. So, um, is Chingy the finest rapper of all time? <laughs> well, I think, didn't Flo Rida also, you know, pioneer that technique? Oh, I think so. Flo, yeah, Flo Rida loves a bit of that shit too. So, <laughs> look, Chingy, finest rapper of all time. It's up for debate. Um, let's look at mm-hmm. the evidence. The album Chingy Jackpot. Featured this song, right there, or right there. Holiday Inn with Snoop Dogg. It got it down at the Holiday Inn, if you remember that <laughs> classic. The emotional hip hop ballad, uh, One Call Away, which was a very, very emotional. A lot mm-hmm. of um, phone, mobile phone product placement in that. Sure. Um, if you're going to have a name, 
of the song One Call Away, then that's perfect because in the video clip, you can be like, well, it's about being on the phone. So mm. I can be on the phone all the time in the video clip and then show that phone to camera so <laughs> I can make a lot of money on product placement. And of course, the uh, title track, Chingy Jackpot, which was talked about before. The timeless lyric, Chingy, why your eyes so chinky? Is it because you've been smoking and drinking? Mm. You complete me, wind me, dine me, take me home and eat me. That's what the chick says. So it's um, that's great. It's, it's really, really good because it's about getting eaten out by Chingy and some sort of casual racism there as well, which is pretty <laughs> what nice. What nationality so. was Chingy? Um, he's African-American. He is? Okay. So, yeah. So he's not Asian in any way, <laughs> shape or form. So... Um, but his eyes look so chinky, Tom, because he was stoned out of his head, you see. So um, I don't know whether he could perform that these days. (laughs) I'm not sure whether that would would roll. We have discussed that briefly before. But look, unfortunately, he couldn't recapture the magic um, of the Chingy Jackpot album on his follow-up, Tom. Do you you know what his follow-up album was called? Uh, Powerballin'. (laughs) So... Um, I'm not sure exactly what Powerballin' is, whether it's a reference, you know, maybe... Tribute to playing the lottery. Playing Powerball or whatever, but he was was Powerballin' (laughs) on that follow-up album. Um, Unfortunately, none of the songs on Powerballin' were Powerballin' enough, Uh, and the people weren't really feeling it. But he achieved all that he needed to on Chingy Jackpot, obviously, you know, so he didn't really have to worry too much about the, you know, Powerballin' failing. Um, in 2013, he announced his departure from the mainstream rap game, Tom, as he'd found religion and became a practicing black Hebrew Israelite. So okay. that's um. So he converted to Judaism. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. So Fair I right. don't really know too much about the black Hebrew <laughs> Israelites, but um, I just figure that Chingy's obviously the perfect yes. ambassador for yes. that movement. So. Good times. Well, much as the much as the Scientologists have Tom Cruise, the black Hebrew Israelites have Chingy. Have they do have Chingy? Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. So, um, but if he's going to recruit people for the movement, um, he might struggle in the Asian <laughs> countries if they yes. have a quick look at some of his past lyrics. The but fact that his uh, <laughs> his musical recording title sounds like a racist insult. Yeah, might hamper. Yeah, my happy a little bit. So that's um that's New Zealand. The next one I'm going to do, Tom, after you've done yours, I'm going to be moving to America. But I just wanted to do a special mention to New sure. Zealand, just a special shout out. So, um, as you recall, several weeks ago on the podcast, um, probably the low point of the podcast for me personally, <laughs> and, and probably many was. Crazy Frog, Axel F. Yes. Which spent, uh, yeah. I think, three weeks at number one in Australia, So, which is effectively um, a ringtone mm-hmm. done by an animated frog. Yes, well, I, I ruled it out for my worst song of the decade because it's not a song, really. Well, I did also as well. because You're right, Tom, because effectively pop music is very... Pe- people say that pop music is disposable and it's just a commodity. Yes. But a lot of pop music, well, most pop music, you know, someone's had to write the song... They've had to do the lyrics, they've had to produce it. Some of it is very disposable, but some of it is very well-written music that stands the test of time, and great pop songs are art, you know, pieces of art. Crazy Frog, Axel F, (laughs) is is the complete opposite of that. It is just a product for sale, given that it's a cover of a song that already existed anyway, and its sole purpose is to make money. There's no artistic integrity within yeah. it whatsoever so I had to also rule it out for my 
worst of the decade just based on because it is a fucking awful <laughs> song but it, it really doesn't qualify I feel it would be unfair to give it yes. such, such an award anyway so we had to deal with that for three weeks um, I think back in 2005 mm-hmm. New Zealand Axel F was number one for 11 weeks Tom wow which is a full three calendar months oh um, the only thing that prevented it being the longest number one song of the decade was Scribe as we previously oh, mentioned well, well done, but Scribe. the New Zealand public you know there for 11 weeks and then it finally got knocked off the <laughs> charts by um, I think it was a Rihanna song Oh, okay. So Rihanna finally knocked um, Crazy Frog off the charts, but the New Zealand public said, no, 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 we demand more Crazy Frog. <laughs> oh so God. after one week of Rihanna, um, the follow-up single, Popcorn, um, <laughs> Crazy Frog's chilling rendition of that mm. went to number one wow. for a couple more weeks. Um, but then that was it for New Zealand. Oh, no, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> they also jumped onto the last Christmas train, Tom. So when Crazy Frog released his Christmas album, the New Zealand public went, we fucking need a piece of that as well. So Crazy Frog had three number ones in a calendar year in New Zealand, um, oh, spending wow. a total of about four months at the top of the charts. This so, is making me feel slightly better about our three Black Eyed Peas number ones yeah. from within a two month period at the end of last year yes that's so pretty bad it's pretty bad and usually that shit is uh, reserved for the UK where they seem to just go in for fucking anything but well they did produce oh, they, did, did they produce oh, they're, I'm, sh- I'm sure they're not, they weren't complicit in yeah, this I think they probably they were involved in some way so yeah Anyway, so I don't want to mention Crazy Frog anymore. <laughs> no, please. It's terrible. All right, what do you got? Where, oh, we're back to... Where are you two? We're back Into to the, the UK. UK. Yep. Uh, it's 2004. Uh, Peter Andre, Ooh. Mysterious Girl. Fuck yeah. Now, this song was the third single from Peter's second album, Natural. Uh, it came after all those other singles he had, like, you know... Those other ones. Was this a re-release? Because this originally <laughs> came out in the in the nineties. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the interesting story. Oh, good. Uh, this got to the top of the charts in New Zealand. Was number eight in Australia and peaked at number two on the UK singles chart. However, following a lengthy campaign on DJ Chris Moyle's show in two thousand and four, <laughs> uh, you might remember Chris Moyle's from the first episode of Stuart Lee's Comedy Vehicle. Uh, he wrote the Chris Moyle's toilet book that gets discussed in detail. And following Andre hooking up with Jordan on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, the song was re-released as the first single from Andre's fourth studio album, The Long Road Back, peaking at number one in February 2004. So, yeah, you're the one-hit wonder expert, Ben. Yep. So my question to you is, does a one-hit wonder count if you have a hit with it twice, eight years apart? Yeah, I think that still makes him a one-hit wonder. Um, technically, it's still the only the one song. Yeah, <laughs> it's whether one. you put the emphasis on the one or the hit, I yeah. suppose. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, if it, I think if it hits twice, I mean, you look at something. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably a rarity, but probably more so in the UK where they love novelty shit. But look, great to see that it hit number one <laughs> twice. I think massive respect to Peter for that. Massive respect to Peter Andre for somehow remaining relevant <laughs> sometime later. Relevant enough that Jordan said, oh, yeah, yeah this dude looks okay. But um, Jordan doesn't usually make the wisest decisions, I don't think. Let but. me put it this way. I would say that Peter Andre in 2004 was every bit as relevant 
as 2000, Peter Andre in 1996 was. I think so, yeah. However you measure relevance, I would say he maintained that level of relevancy. Definitely. Um, yeah, in case anyone gives a shit that I may have talked about Sabrina quite a lot after the <laughs> 80s round, I might as well point out that the video clip for this is just 100% female gaze. It's just hot, young, multiracial dudes flopping around in a surf on a tropical beach. I think it was sponsored by the Fire Island Tourist Board or something. Yep. Uh, in addition to abs you could do a laundry on, uh, Andre is also rocking a haircut I'm calling the Male Rachel, which is a sort of greasy, mid-length, centre-part fringe which immediately took off among the Lynx Africa community after this video came out the first time. Or, and then probably the second time, let's face it. Yeah. Uh, but does it matter in 2004 or 1996 when this was originally released? I mean, let's face it, a quality pervy video is timeless. Nobody watches four minutes of hot young people churning up the surf and comes away thinking, hmm, these board shorts look a bit dated. You know? Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I think he, they went they went uh, right with that. They didn't try to portray him as a librarian who turns out to have abs. They yeah. just went, no, let's just go straight for the abs. So, yeah. That's good. Um, look, that's that's a great song. Uh, I'm glad that we got to talk about that <laughs> finally and Peter Andre generally. But it's actually not as bad as I no, remember. No, no, no. It's kind of vaguely catchy in a sort of lazy pop reggae style. I'd have to say, though, that Peter Andre's best work in that decade was definitely when him and Jordan decided to do a cover of A Whole New World. Uh, I think yes. that was really the high watermark of, of Jordan's music career. celebrated their wedding or something? I probably did, did yeah, yeah, definitely. So, good to see Jordan um, had a recording <laughs> career at some stage as well, you know, mm, people, even if it was with the husband. It was also, I was very happy that, I mean, a lot of people had expected that they would have a very low-key, you know, behind-closed-doors wedding ceremony. But at the last minute, they must have had a change of heart because they did allow photographers into their wedding, mm. which is a good thing so that we were allowed to witness perhaps the classiest wedding of all time <laughs> yeah, since no um, Kyle Sandland's hooked up with his latest staff employee <laughs> 15 years younger than him at the Nova wedding and, you know, kebab shop opening ceremony yeah. that he was doing a live show from while getting married in the background. So, yeah, it was classier than that. Certainly. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Look, um... I'm sure Jordan had a very tasteful wedding dress um, with no cleavage whatsoever and I'm sure Peter wasn't wearing some sort of translucent shirt so that his abs could be shown off. I'm sure it was very, very tasteful. I think uh, the Jennifer Lopez-style wedding planner uh, said that the key word they were looking for was pinker than the Barbie aisle at Kmart. Okay. That was the watchword for the whole thing. So yeah. Fantastic. That's good. Cool, Tom. Oh, well, please. Um, up to you. Where are we off to now? I'm taking a trip to the US of A, Tom, where for, I think, two solid weeks, we got probably the high watermark, for my mind, of um, rap rock, Tom, and that's Crazy Town's Butterfly. Oh, come, yes. my lady, come, come, <laughs> my lady. You're my sugar pie, sugar baby. Mm. Now, it's hard to pinpoint the lowest ebb of rap <laughs> rock, but Crazy Town's first two <laughs> singles, Toxic... And Dark Side must be close. <laughs> Toxic, get to the dark chip. Where he does like a full, like, <laughs> D tier Fred Durst impersonation, oh, okay. which is no good. I must have um, missed it. Yeah, it was awful. Um, <laughs> most people, I think, only know them for this song. Yeah, but I didn't know they had a harder edge. <laughs> they did. They, a more they certainly edge. do. Okay. They, they, they have a. They have an edge that's sort of like an off-brand Limp Biscuit, I guess. And then this oh, is one okay. of their softer numbers. So 
Look, fortunately, they turned around the dog shit from Toxic and Dark Side for this single, mm. um, where they stripped out all of the rock. Uh, it just featured really the two pronged rap attack of Shifty Shell Shock <laughs> and Epic over oh, a okay. uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers sample. So, oh, that's why it's catchy. Yeah, yeah so I feel a bit bad for them because this is their only number one single and they had to split the royalties with the Red Hot Chili uh, Peppers. Because yes. it's just a Red Hot Chili Peppers instrumental off, um, I can't remember, Blood Sugar Sex Magic or one mm-hmm. of those sort of from that era. So they've just taken that instrumental and then they've just wrapped over the top of it yep. with some beats, basically. And as you say, it's also not particularly representative of this. No, scene, no. <laughs> so the gift of the game, which is Crazy Town's debut album, Tom, <laughs> sold 2.5 million copies worldwide. And oh, no yeah. doubt there are a lot of disappointed people who purchased the album <laughs> off the back of Butterfly and received a collection of off-brand head P tracks. Uh, head, sorry, wow. head bracket, PE bracket <laughs> tracks. But look, the album did capture some heartfelt moments outside of that rap oh, rock, okay. obviously. Good. Butterflies, we talked about there. Yep. Come, my lady, come, come, my lady, which is really, really good. Um, <laughs> obviously, very, very emotional. Um, and also other tracks like Revolving Door, where you sort of feel the emotion of, of the lost or maybe even unrequited love um, of one of the members of Crazy Town. As Epic sings, um, quote... Don't waste my time unless you're down to fuck. So, very emotional. Very, very emotional. So, um, But Butterfly really was lightning in a bottle, I think. They can never quite reach those heights again. They released some other albums, I doubt anyone, out of Crazy Town Complete a Zone. Um, a couple more for the decade. They did subsequently break up. But they are back together now. Sure. Um, where Shifty Shellshock is the only original <laughs> member, I believe. But okay. one thing that worked in Shifty's favour, though, Tom, mm-hmm. is um, the fashion at the time, sort of that early-ish ni- uh, 2000s, was, was terrible, yeah? yeah? The fashion was abysmal. But Shifty, insi- like, he insisted on being shirtless 100% of the time. So he yes. avoided the whole, <laughs> oh, what the fuck is that guy wearing? Because it's just yes. waist-up shots and he's just mm. never has a shirt on. So. But even that technique, I believe, was borrowed from Flea, the oh, Red yeah, Chili Peppers, exactly. who basically realised that if he only ever appeared with underpants or a sock on his penis for his entire career, then yeah, he can avoid... Absolutely, yeah. worrying no, about but being I mean, out of fashion. But I mean, still not so. a bad idea. No, definitely. No. Um... In the butterfly video, one of Shifty Shellshock's star tattoos flies off. You can remember that. Sort of <laughs> tattoo just flies off into the ether. So that's really, really great. Some really good visual effects there. Um, the director of this video is um, actually an Academy Award winner. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and in case you forgot this was the early 2000s, Crazy Town um, featured DJ AM, who oh. became sort of famous for dating Nicole Ritchie. Uh, okay. And he was also in that plane crash with Travis Barker from one eight yes, Blink one eight two, where what... every other passenger on the flight died, apart from DJ AM and uh, Travis Barker. Bit of a sliding doors moment. Imagine what would have happened yeah. if Trav and DJ AM had, had gone out um, in that plane crash. We wouldn't have had Travis's um, great remix of uh, that fucking, <laughs> I think Black Eyed Peas song or whatever it was from the other week. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> this is the final the and one other thing as well which is great about uh, the gift of the game Crazy Town's uh, debut album um, mm-hmm. outside of Toxic and Dark Side which I've mentioned obviously this single um, the the one where he, where Epic sings about you know don't waste my time unless you're down to fuck yep. all great songs but um, the final song on the album Tom 
is just an ad for crazytown.com. <laughs> it's just an instrumental with someone on the top going crazytown.com. <laughs> crazytown.com. So the, the internet <laughs> been, it's never going to catch it. It was, you know, such, so dated. In such its sort of infant stages was the internet that bands <laughs> figured they needed to write a song and say the web address on there to, to get people to go there. So anyway, good old crazy town. Um, rap rock superstars, I think. Mm. So good on them for giving it a go and good on them for having a big hit. Yeah. Did one of them die in a drug? I think DJ AM's dead. I think now. Oh, okay. I oh, okay. Shifty, Shifty Shellshock's still going. Oh, good. I'm glad um, to hear it. He's the only original member. But <laughs> who, the, several others might be dead as well. I'm not quite sure, but yeah. That was another one of those things where, where I heard that. I remember thinking, look, who did Butterfly? They didn't seem to be like the kind of guys who'd OD, but if, as you say, they were more of a sort of new metal, you know, type Toxic, good in the rock Maybe yeah. they were more in that category. That was certainly were, yeah. I think it's one of those things where they, they got signed and they sort of riding on that wave of the rap metal thing and then none of the songs did any good so someone <laughs> in the record label just went just release that ballad one and yeah, hopefully yeah. that'll do something Maybe. and look 2.5 million albums later can't argue with that you can't argue at all absolutely okay um, we are off to Germany Oh, uh, it's 2002 and we're looking at a song called Nessaya by Scooter Oh, fuck, not Scooter again. Yes, we covered uh, one of their songs earlier. The Logical Song. The Logical Song, yes, sorry. Uh, Nasaya was a number one hit with our Teutonic cousins in Germany and a number two in Norway, Scotland, Romania and Austria. You absolutely will not remember Scooter from our 2002 episode. <laughs> uh, as you say, they had uh, number one with the incredibly inaccurately named The Logical Song. Yeah. Uh, the original Nasaya song, this is a cover, sort of, is a kind of slow lullaby written written by Peter Maffey for a 1983 German kids musical called Tabaluga, about a cute dragon. This is not that. Uh, it contains samples of Last Train to Transcentral by the KLF, Jeez. and the hardcore banger Human Beings by Interstate, both of which are far better dance songs than this. Also, when I say contain samples of, I mean that in the kid rock sense. E.g., it's basically those two songs slapped together with a whole bunch of sub-Eurobeat ESL rave rap over the top, plus a whole bunch of briefly, of the briefly yet mystifyingly popular chipmunk voice vocals from, oh, uh, fuck. from a chick called Nicole Zuka, just in case you've been wondering, hmm, if there's anything worse they could do with autotune, I haven't heard it yet, and then they were like, hold my beer... How about you? you all sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks? Uh, from a chick called Nicole Suka, who I hope got paid a lot if she didn't know what they were going to do to her voice, or nothing whatsoever if she did. And somewhere, quietly buried underneath all of that bullshit, the original lullaby asphyxiates quietly to death. Um, the non-Chipmunk lyrics of the song start like this. 3am! The painted cow. Yeah! You ain't stopping us now. Wonderful human beings. Yeah, I am the jungler soldier. Come on. The rocket launcher stopped ya. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It must be Dave who's on the train. 
Now, the only thing I can say in defense of that is, trust me, if you're listening to a song that starts with a dude yelling 3am into your face, and it's not 3am, and you haven't dropped at least a couple of green Mitsubishis, then you're not the intended audience of the song, so just calmly, quickly switch the music off before two brand new orifices on your wrist squirt glow sticks into your hands, Cronenberg style, and you start saying, wicked, until the van comes to take you away. Because that's the audio effect that uh, Scooter have on people. Uh, the video takes its cue from the lyrics by being idiotic, completely ridiculous, trashy as fuck, yet admittedly difficult to turn away from. A bunch of fancily dressed people arrive in limos to a big mansion for some sort of high society party. Then H.P. Baxter with two X's yells, The Painted Cow! And a painted cow appears. <laughs> Uh, for some reason the mid 90s rave beat drops and everyone goes nuts the lasers come out all the women in the fancy sophisticated attire take their clothes off for some reason there's a fucking wallaby wandering around inside good in a castle in Germany dudes are hooking up women in thongs are making out in a bathtub in a hallway the chick vomits on it because an old guy tries to sexually assault her and then the three middle-aged white guys in casual Friday office wear that somehow get paid for this shit just wander off into oblivion, Ben. Yep. I mean, <laughs> what I'm saying is, are you jealous of the scooter lifestyle, do you think? Does that sound like oh, a good Friday night to you? Absolutely. Look, yeah, <laughs> for sure. You've got to be jealous of Scooter. I mean, he's maintained a career for such a long period of time doing great <laughs> stuff like this, yet all of his music's absolutely unlistenable bullshit. Well, it's a Jamiroquai situation because <laughs> there's no one actually called Scooter. The, oh, the yeah. singer's H.P. Baxter with two X's. Yeah. It's just, yeah, so Scooter, you know, and even more, but that makes it even weirder. Like Jamiroquai, it's like, well, if Jamiroquai's not the guy, then what the fuck does Jamiroquai Yeah, mean? exactly. Yeah. Just Look, call yourself Jamiroquai. To quote from a YouTube comment below the video... My one-year-old daughter is screaming Scooter every time I turn on the speakers and when I play Nessaya, she screams in joy and starts to dance. That's good. <laughs> From that, I'm thinking that perhaps at the age of 43, Ben, we're just 42 years old to appreciate the Scooter sound. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Definitely. Also, have you thought of getting Scooter to function as an audio babysitter for your four-year-old? Thinking about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Would your it's... kids dance to Scooter, do you think? I don't think they'd be into Scooter, no. I think they're more <laughs> discerning listeners, I they're think too so. I, th- I think so. I think they'd, they'd probably prefer just to listen to 3AM Eternal, I think, from the, the original K. Oh, it's a much better song, as is the other one, yeah. uh, Human Beings by Interstate. That's a real banger, too, if you actually want to hear some uh, early aughts era hardcore. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, man, what have you got? You um, got one more for me? Yeah, real quick, I've got one more in America uh, Ciara Goodies. Okay. Don't know if you're familiar with the Ciara story, but um, the vocals on this are fucked. I'll just put that out there to begin with. She sounds terrible. I'm not sure who produced this, what was going on. What uh, uh, what style of music is it? Well, Tom, she's been classified as the queen of crunk and bee. So I don't know whether that's an actual genre, officially a genre, but after releasing goodies and a couple of other singles... I think that were produced by uh, Little John. Mm-hmm. She got the uh, Queen of Crunk and Bee title. Okay. I believe she's still the Queen of Crunk and Bee because no one else has dared <laughs> dabble in the genre. Um, but I don't know. I don't really know any other Crunk and Bee songs. It sounds like that could actually be an insult. Yeah. 
bitch, I think you're so. the queen of crunk. You're the <laughs> queen of crunk and bee, yeah. <laughs> it turns out that means, I don't know, giving dudes blowjobs in car parks or Oh, something. it wouldn't surprise me, Tom. Sure, um, but not in this case, presumably. Not, no, 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 or not possibly. in this case at all. <laughs> because, um, as I mentioned, this, this is the yes, number one song sorry. in the US, but she wouldn't be giving dudes blowjobs in car parks, Tom, because... The song Goodies, the goodies mm-hmm. that she's referring to in the song um, appear to be her snatch. So, oh, okay. But she's not letting anyone get get Dem Goodies. Oh, okay. So, in fact, <laughs> Dem Goodies going to stay in the jar. So okay. she's like, no one's going to get access to my vagina. It's staying in the, in the jar. <laughs> okay. I assume she means a metaphorical jar and not a literal jar. I don't think it's been surgically removed and placed in a jar. But she's got the goodies. Yeah, they're in a jar. They're in a jar, and no one's getting access to those goodies. So it's a, it's. I don't think I've heard a song that deals with access to vaginas or penises, for that matter, put in such terms. But I like what no. what Ciara has done there um, with the old goodies, keeping them in the jar. So power to that to the Queen of Crunk and B. Uh, I salute you and I hope that she's still going today. Mm. I noticed that she's done a fair few collaborations with some of the hottest artists around. Um, Little John, Justin Timberlake, all those guys. Okay. So, yep, she's she's still going strong, I think. Well, but, as discussed, this was the era of crunk and I oh, assume B as well. Yeah, crunk and B. Yeah. yeah, absolutely right. So I wonder if uh, the jar with her vagina in it is kept in the same place in the lolly shop where 50 Cent keeps his lollipop. Yeah, that probably. he's willing to let you lick. I assume so. Not metaphorically, he's actually talking about an item of candy that he keeps. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one jar. I think if, if Ciara does have her vagina in a jar... You want to keep that probably in the bedroom or something like that, because mm. if you just put that jar up in a cupboard, um, in in the pantry or something like that, yes. it may accidentally get thrown into a stir fry or some sort of yeah. other. Di- you know, a friend might be around. Oh, where you know, I need a can of tomatoes. You don't want to end this. up with a detachable penis situation. No, exactly. Where somebody just makes off with your vagina. I mean, exactly right. Friends making a bowling maze, and then it's like, this has got an odd. What's going on with this? It's like, oh shit. You've thrown my vagina that I was keeping in that jar in there. So it could be problematic. But anyway, I don't really know. There might be a follow-up single where she discusses this. We'll find out. So anyway, that's um, that's the that's the shit songs sure. um, from other places. Um, yeah. Real, I don't know, Tom, if you wanted me to touch real quick on the highest number two of the decade. Yeah, so, please. Um, so in Australia, the highest number two of the decade was um, Jason Mraz, I'm Yours. Oh, yeah, yep. Now, this is described as Jawaiian, a Hawaiian style of popular music that combines native Hawaiian styles with reggae and other Caribbean Mm. influences. Um, Sounds great. So, in the hands of Jason Mraz, it is total horseshit, correct? (laughs) So, it sounds like the kind of thing that'd be playing at a tiki bar off Wall Street Mm. where a cocktail costs $44 and no one actually really knows what a tiki bar is, but they saw it on a TV show and said, let's set one of those up so, like, business dudes could go in there after work and get get that $44 cocktail. So, Jason, once again, wasn't able to replicate the success, but he did release a song in 2018 with Megan Trainer called More Than Friends, which I can assume is very, very high quality. You know what? I just, oh, sorry. Go on. I was just going to say, he's moved away a bit from music, Tom, because um, I, I understand that 
he couldn't repeat this and he realised that so he's got into acting and television oh, yeah. um, so he's tried to do that path he's been a lot of really good things um, and last year for example 2021 he was on uh, Celebrity Wheel of Fortune so he's oh, a real heavy hitter correct. in actors yeah. I just realised that I have heard that song multiple times as you say in the background of you know clothes shops where yeah. I didn't really want to be uh, and I always just assumed it was Jack Johnson because it sounds exactly like <laughs> yeah. Jack Johnson. And the late aughts was the era of Jack Johnson. That was yeah. when he was... It's like yeah. a shittier version of Jack Johnson, if yeah, that's possible. really low effort, low energy yeah. strum pop with a vague hint of something yeah, exactly. about it. Yeah, yeah for And sure. also, did he write Sandstone? Sandstorm? No, he didn't. No. So I'm saying Jason Mraz, no Jason Derulo. No, no, exactly right. Yeah. I know who I'd rather. Look, I'm glad that that real low energy, just acoustic guitar, <laughs> I'm on an island shit is gone because that was so boring. It was boring as fuck, really. Yep. I mean, it's just, there's just nothing. <laughs> it does, it does, uh, it was the the background for one of my favourite uh, radio comedy sketches from Get This. Did you listen to that one where yeah. the Tony, the Tony, the, the comedian plays a guy who goes into a marketing meeting for uh, movie producers who want to hear songs that he's written for various upcoming films. Mm. And the joke being that it's Jack Johnson, so every single song he plays is exactly the same <laughs> song, just yeah. with the with the, exactly the same that kind of low effort, low energy whimsical vibe regardless of what the title of the music is yeah I think he turns them around with uh, the hills have eyes to the reboot (laughs) (laughs) the hills have eyes everyone dies he's under your car with a nasty surprise I think Jack kind of hums along (laughs) (laughs) look that up if you're bored I will yeah so so that was um, highest number two of the decade but best number two of the decade Tom ah Um, a new category I'm introducing this year (laughs) Uh, Khalees with Milkshake Oh yeah I was actually wondering When we are going to talk about that I, That's why Didn't quite number, hit number he Just one. hit number two oh. Now Clearly the best number two Of the decade I mean yeah. Milkshake um, It's a song about How Khalees' tits Just make guys Lose their fucking minds mm. That's sort of the mm. The lyrical content Not of that, entirely so. unjustified No exactly so, <laughs> so, If you've seen the video Yeah yeah So written by Pharrell uh, Who else He penned mm-hmm. this guy of course So um Khalees did claim that milkshake, quote, means whatever people want it to. It was just a word we came up with on a whim, but then the song took on a life of its own. I call bullshit on that. I think she knows what it's about. My milkshakes brings all the boys to the yard, and they're like, it's better than yours. And then in the video clip, she's just sort of, you know, cans out sort of action. and Yeah. It's sort yeah. of milkshake. I don't, I don't know. It, I no, know, I know what you mean. I don't think anyone thought it was about anything else than it's, tits. It's so. not quite as... I don't remember being as... I mean, it made sense later on, but I don't remember being as sure of what she meant at the time. It's just a weird way of framing it. Yeah. You know, it's not quite as direct as, uh, you know, I'll take you to the candy shop, I'll let you lick my lollipop. Yeah, not quite that. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's the milk slash tits thing that, you know... Yeah, I think so. The video clip's quite provocative. I think if it had been a more of a downplayed mm. video clip, I might have been like, oh, maybe she's yeah, talking no, about something else. But it's, sort of her, but it's her in she that... She was very sort of, young at that time. Yeah, she too. was. Yeah, definitely. She's um, It's a cool video clip, actually. She's sort of in that um, she's what, in a hot diner dog thing, dinery yeah. van thing. and Yeah, um, but yeah, cool, good song, she, um, she great. She had a previous big hit on the alternative charts with I Hate You So Much Right Now. Yeah, that was another good one. I hate you so much right now. And she did a lot of ah 
she was which you don't get a lot for pop songs. So I, yeah. I was a bit. Yeah, I thought she might have gone. I mean, I think she had a career following up, but those were definitely her. Well, she had that moment. that song, yeah, "I Hate You So Much" right now, and then this one, and then I thought it was going to be up and up and up. But yeah. she sort of fell off a bit of a cliff. I haven't really heard from much over the last um, yeah. fifteen years, but who knows? She, she's she's still doing stuff. I just don't think she. I think that was a high watermark. Yeah, definitely. It's a shame. Oh, one thing. Well, watching I rewatched that video not that long ago, and I was I it was another one of those things where I was like, oh that outfit she's wearing has come back around oh, yeah. completely. She's wearing like baggy jeans with uh, sort of low on the hip with like a kind of satin bustier type yep. thing, like a kind of semi-underwear corsety thing and sneakers, which is now, I just, there's girls walking down the street wearing Absolutely. Them now, so 20 years just came back. She was ahead of her time. Ahead of her time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. A, no, that's a good song. I'm with you. That's so a they're your number two. twos. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. What have you got for me, Tom? Um, well, we've got various topics. Yep. Um, you know, awards and various best stuff. and worst. And, yep. Yeah. Right. Um, cool. You want to hit me with one? All right. Sure. Um, well, I could do my... Uh, um, anti-drug thing normally I do a little anti-drug report on what Popstar's doing Uh, I couldn't find any fascinating campaigns this time but I did think it might be worth mentioning probably the most famous drug casualty in the aughts was Michael Jackson yes he uh, went out paying 150 grand per month for a private living doctor to take care of him uh, for reasons How'd that, that work out? Well, for reasons that baffle experts to this day, the doctor felt some sort of crazy obligation to give Michael Jackson whatever drugs he asked for. Uh, it turns out that before he died, the King of Pop had spent the previous two months taking Propofol to help with insomnia. Uh, Propofol is a general anaesthetic Ah, thing. good. So to quote Robin Williams, taking Propofol for insomnia is like getting chemotherapy because you're tired of shaving your head. <laughs> uh, Jacko had previously been addicted to painkillers for a decade due to the combined stresses of setting his head on fire doing a Pepsi commercial <laughs> and being accused of child abuse for the first of many subsequent occasions. Yeah. But he went to rehab. He was quite honest about it. I think that was like 93 or 94. He said, look, I'm addicted to Demerol, going to rehab and stuff. So yeah, predictably, despite this, Jackson considered himself staunchly anti-drug. The (coughs) plot of Moonwalker, for instance, concerns a ponytailed Joe Pesci's attempts to use drugs to exploit children, a fate Michael needs to (coughs) save them from. Uh, He'd even lent the use of his song Beat It to the 80s Flintstones Kids Just Say No anti-drug special, appearing in cartoon character as himself to perform the song alongside the usual bewildering array of cartoon characters that Nancy Reagan thought would stop grade four snorting crack on the seesaw or whatever satanic panic era horseshit 80s parents thought their prepubescent offspring were getting up to at recess. The good thing about Michael Jackson in cartoon form is that the children on set are generally safe because he's animated. That's right. best way to to get him involved in anything in some ways yes but I mean clearly he believed in the cause yep personally I prefer to think of Michael Jackson in his final musical video uh, which it was this decade the 13 minute thriller style short film for You Rock My World yeah which was a number one in Spain South Africa and France for three weeks in 2001 the video features Michael Madsen, Chris Tucker and Marlon Brando for his usual three and a half seconds in a corner sitting down in the dark. Uh, but for the first time in his entire career, 
in this video, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but mm. he uses his normal voice. Oh, what? No, that's right. He just sounds like a dude instead of a party clown doing a lazy impersonation of a born-again Christian. <laughs> On the flip side, uh, his nose looks like it fell off a white chocolate Toblerone bar <laughs> and the upper lip area has to be seen to be believed. But yeah, uh, Michael opts to play a wisecracking bare-knuckle brawler bad boy who makes out with the ladies. And if anything highlights the threat of prescription drugs, it's that series of decisions, Finn. I mean, kids, seriously, just take a leaf out of Chris Tucker's book and stick to good, honest methamphetamines, I say. Yeah, I'd say so. Look, his nose was looking real bad by the end. It was sort of like he was in a hall of mirrors, but was just walking down the street. It's about 40 degrees backwards out of whack. Yeah. Like, yeah. Definitely. So yeah, it's um, it was a weird de- uh, decade for Michael. The uh, you know dangling his ba- infant child off a balcony, yeah. those sorts of things. Um, I mean, he had a lot of lawsuits. It's not <laughs> like he was gone into somehow. I mean, his reclusive insanity was nothing new. No, and he was famously two weeks away from going off on a world tour, which no doubt would have been a huge success. He As was, stated, yeah. this album, though it didn't have a lot of critical success, was still selling shitloads of records. You know, he, people, you know... Were... Yeah, he died um, when he was rehearsing for the, the 50... He was going to do 50 nights yep. at uh, the O2 yeah. in the UK, um, which I think fits about 20,000 people or something like that. So he was going to play in front of a million people doing 50 shows at one venue. Wow. And it was going to go for, you know, six months or so. It was like two or three a week or something. So... It was quite the undertaking and seemed crazy that it was sort of like, yeah. wow. And so, he was not a young man at this point. No, either. no, absolutely not. It's so, kind of hard to tell his age because his face looks like... Yeah. Now, also, but- <laughs> definitely, I was living in the UK at the time and some people that I worked with had purchased tickets to go. And when Michael Jackson died, obviously the shows were cancelled yeah. and they received uh, an email saying... You can get a refund or you can just keep the ticket as a memento of that show that you never went to because Michael Jackson died. Nice fucking try, guys. I wonder how many people went, oh, I'll keep that memento ticket, which is just a printout, I think, of an email anyway, so you got a ticket. So, because I gather, yeah, look, they probably would have lost a fair bit of money off that. But, you know, you roll the dice, don't you? It had gone ahead. They would have made a fuckload. Dude dies of drug overdose. You lose a bit. So, yeah. oh look, I'm swings sure swings around to definitely. the millions, but yeah. Uh, please, what have you got? Um, Tom got a few awards. Sure. So first up, I've got best metaphor to explain one's own music, <laughs> and that goes to Chad Kroger from Nickelback. Um, sure. Quote: I put my dick in my mouth. I was 14 and much more flexible at the time. It was soft and required a lot of pulling. Now. Mm. If someone who hasn't heard Nickelback asked me to describe their sound, I don't think there's really a better way than to say it's much like a flaccid penis in your mouth. So Yeah, it requires a lot of pulling also. It's soft as fuck. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that, that, that quote came from, um, I think just during an interview at one stage, Chad just talked about how as a teenager he just put his own dick in his mouth. So who'd have known that that guy would go on to write such great songs? Um, I think he believe I believe there is a Nickelback song from around this time called Something in Your Mouth. So I'm not sure <laughs> what it's referring to, yeah. but yeah. Anyway, that's it for me on Nickelback. <laughs> I don't want to say sure. anything thing about them. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I was going to do the EDM report uh, mm. for the decade. That that uh, takes a little bit. I'll try not to drag. No, it. no, please. Uh, I did think this was interesting because although hip hop was the dominant thing in the aughts, uh, there was a lot of cool stuff happening in EDM. I wanted to talk about modular recordings, known yep. simply as modular. They're an Australian record label founded in 1998 by Steve Pavlovich. Uh, after its establishment, their first three album releases were Living End's debut, Ben Lee's Breathing Tornadoes, and The Avalanche's Since I Left You, mm. which were all international successes of one kind or another and sold shitloads in Australia. Uh, in 2004, with the success of Cut Copy, The Presets, and The Bumblebees, and the development of pot and modular parties and stuff, they got bigger and bigger and bigger, and people started calling their hipsterish, retro-tinged dance and dance-leaning rock as the modular sound. Uh, Dan Whitford of Cut Copy described it as discovering dance music played live with a more musical aesthetic rather than just a DJ on stage. They were sort of a crossover thing. Uh, Yeah, they set up an office in New York in 2004, then London. They started throwing Never Everland concerts and parties, which were the coolest shit out at the time. Uh, in 2007, they brought Daft Punk to Australia for the first time on their Alive tour, which was definitely the best gig I saw in the aughts. Um, supposedly, Daft Punk were getting a million dollars per gig for that, and it wow. was worth every fucking penny, I have to say. Either way, everything Modular did for a decade turned gold. In March of 2008, just to pick an example, Cut Copy and The Presets' second albums both entered the ARIA charts at number one. Artists they signed included The Presets, The Avalanches, Lady Hawk, Cut Copy, Bag Raiders, Architecture in Helsinki, Pond, Tame Impala, The Rapture, Rocket Science, Sneaky Sound System, Vanshee, and Wolf Mother. And overseas artists who asked for Modular to release their work in Australia included The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Chromio, The Claxons, and Mastercraft. Basically, if you're on the dance floor between 99 and 2010, you were listening to Modular bands, and it was usually the better stuff that you would hear. Uh, that night. Uh, the only other thing that influenced electronic music as much as modular this decade was that 2007 fucking cluster bomb release of the debut albums of Digitalism, Justice, and Simeon Mobile Disco that came out within a fortnight of each other, just by coincidence, and was just pointed at the future of electronic for the next decade. They took that sort of gated neo disco beat of the early aughts and turned it into sort of rock tinged dance floor bangers with sophisticated instrumentation and smart lyrics and stuff. And that sound, by the way, that muffled, half-compressed nightclub sound that I've been trying to describe since Madonna's hung up, uh, that's called a low-pass filter, I mm, now realise, okay. apparently. That's how you get that sound. Like, it sounds um, like you're underwater or something. Yes. And then, and you, you, then can, you flick yeah, it back out and then it comes back yeah, in. Yes, yeah. and so you're going deaf and stuff. If any older EDM fans are listening, they might be thinking, hang on, didn't all Electro this decade owe nearly everything to Daft Punk? Uh, absolutely fucking lootly it did, but their first album came out in 1997 and they were still kicking goals well into the 2010s, so they're bigger than just an aughts phenomenon, um, unlike those other bands and Modular, who were basically all imploded in the decade since. Um, how cool were Daft Punk? Well, they were once personally asked to remix a song by David Bowie and turned him down. <laughs> That's like uh, blowing off a one-night stand with Scarlett Johansson because you're too good at masturbation, and then she tells her mates that she's jealous of your hand, you know? So, <laughs> look, 
the lesson to take away here is that you should definitely wear a helmet if you want your band to dominate the popular consciousness for 20 years, Ben. That's yep. what I'm saying. Of course, the devil's bargain there is that you have to wear a fucking helmet for 20 fucking years. And if it's a shit helmet, like Marshmallow, for instance, then you'll also look oh, like yeah. a fuckstick that entire time. Yeah, that dude sucks. Yeah, he looks like he's got a albino Lego man stuck on his head. The Daft Punk helmets cost 65 grand each. Fuck. They had, like, controls inside their gauntlets that could animate their helmets while they were using them. And I bet they still got fucking annoying after five minutes. Oh, yeah. I mean, going through 2020, how long does it take a face mask to get fucking annoying? Yeah, Imagine doing a 90-minute concert set in a full face helmet. Uh, conversely, I performed at primary school dance functions for a decade as DJ Stackhat, <laughs> but I gradually realised that the reason I wasn't gaining traction, other than my primarily morbid angel-based set lists, was the fact that the Stackhat isn't enough of a helmet no. then, you know? As in so many other areas, MF Doom was on the money. You want to hide your identity, but leave breathing holes <laughs> so you can actually fucking breathe. So I was going to say, what was your dick decade? Uh, what was your gig of the decade then? Did it involve anyone with a face mask on? Perhaps the nameless ones live in Launceston kicking off with crowd favourite I met her at the pet shop? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just firstly, I want to say that I saw Daft Punk must have been on the same tour. Oh, cool. It was in the Japan. Geometric in Japan, yeah. So thing from was behind this like 2007? The, yeah, yeah, the pyramid. They were yep. in a sort of pyramid. So I think yeah. I would have seen them in, yeah, 2007. Yeah, yeah it was um, 2007, 2008. They played at yeah. Summer Sonic Festival oh, in, cool, in Tokyo. So I went to see them there. Um, yeah, it was really good. I enjoyed it also. And I'd have to say that... the thing, You mentioned MF Doom. Now, MF Doom um, was famous for occasionally just sending someone else out to his gigs um and yes. i think that's amazing like you know amazing r.i.p uh, mf2 it was also amazing uh, rapper sorry just to go back around to what we we're talking about before i didn't realize this until recently but he was also an early proponent of what was called backpack rap yep there's a picture of him another guy and um With paul, a paul barnum on and they're just in someone's house and they're all just wearing backpacks cool. and i don't think it's posed it just looks like yeah, they've yeah. all just walked inside with backpacks. <laughs> so. so i mean that's that's the thing like you go and see mf doom imagine you're a fan and you go and see mf doom you go i'm mm-hmm. gonna see you know this amazing <laughs> rapper and it's just some other fucking dude with a mask on yeah with a backing track You'd feel ripped off by that. And I don't know how many times he did this, but he definitely did it on some occasions. That's a fact. Now, why didn't... You know how, how Daft Punk are obviously mm. no longer a going concern. They've sort of given the game away. Yeah. They could come back at any time. They could have just kept this going forever because you could put anyone in those. That's right. Because the, the thing with MF Doom is he had to actually rap. But with <laughs> if you had fake Daft Punk guys, you could just go, oh, let's just put it... Oh, yeah. It's electronic music. Yeah. Let's just have it pre They're just up there doing their robot shit, faster, stronger, whatever. And everyone's like yeah. rocking it. So very, very interesting that sort of... Um, I mean, you could you could say... They're true notes because they don't sing. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's... that's uh, Yeah, it was good. I just always wondered why they didn't sort of take a leaf out of MF Doom's book and just send <laughs> someone else along. Or Andrew WK, I believe, yeah. is the rumour that he, he has done that... <laughs> In the pub. Well, there's a lot of rumours about that dude that are completely batshit, such as that he's a different person now or whatever. But oh, that's, okay. that's a completely different story. But, um, oh, look, it's really hard to say for best um, gig of the decade. I got to see a lot of stuff in, in 
in the 2000s well, that I didn't have a overseas. chance to see. You were in London and... Yeah, yeah, so I lived in Tokyo for um, for several years in during this period and then in London as well and Amsterdam. So I got to go and see a lot of bands that um, just hadn't really made it to Australia at the yeah, time. Yeah. So yeah, Daft Punk was really cool. I got to see a lot of hardcore bands that I grew up liking that I'd never seen before. Um, like Converge and Cave In, um, those sorts of guys. I saw Sonic Youth a bunch of times, oh, um, yeah. who I'm a big fan of and hadn't seen them before. Um, so yeah, saw them probably three or four times in the decade, maybe even more. Um, yeah, just got to go to a lot of hardcore shows, um, which was cool. And, oh, and you did a few rails and went to see Roxette. I went to, oh, yeah, yeah, I went to see Roxette, which was cool. I went to see Purr, so I saw one half of Roxette yeah. solo, and then I saw the other half of, of Roxette. Um, I saw Scandalous in a car park in, uh, in Kingston, <laughs> Tom, which is always, you know, very memorable. So yeah. all the, all those great bands. Um, and then, yeah, I went to a couple of like big festivals. I went to one in, um, uh, in Germany, which was really cool. Oh, like yeah. a three day festival there and, and saw a bunch of, a bunch of cool stuff. Um, yeah, went to Roadburn in the Netherlands, which is like a big sort of metal festival, which was pretty rad. Actually, was that, that might have been 2010, actually. So, yeah, that was next decade. But, yeah, so it was a good time for, for live music for me particularly. So, yeah, yeah it was a good good decade. It was a fun time for me. I was in Perth and it, the weather there, it's like a nine-month summer. And that was when I first started going to... Um, like day festivals which I've never yeah. done because Tasmania doesn't lend itself to those things like <laughs> the idea that you could just you could book a, a ticket for a festival that lasted a full day you know a month in advance just knowing that the weather was going to be good the full day it, you know it, yeah. yeah that sort of thing and then and back then I still had groups of people to go to those things with and you know go mob around it in groups you know and yeah really fun the idea that you could like go and see a a band with a bunch of people, then you could all go off and see other things, but you didn't have to like follow each other around all day. You could just kind of and talk to random strangers in the queue to get water and that sort of thing. It was a good time. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, cool. I stopped going when I was the only person left uh, over 17 and everyone else was way hotter than me and <laughs> way younger than me. So, yeah, like, this is getting a bit sad. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last one I went to, I almost got caught with a policeman going through my wallet to find... And I didn't even have pingers. I just had some non-prescription Dexies. Mm. It's like, fucking hell, I'm like 33... I'm about to get busted by a cop for having lame not even illegal, properly yeah. drugs. What am I doing? <laughs> and it was like 42 degrees. I hadn't even started dancing yet. I, was, I think I'm getting to be old for this shit now. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> not too old for concerts, just no. too old for day festivals on pingers. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Sorry, that was a big diversion. Yeah, did you, what have you got? Any more awards? Um, yeah, up next, the uh, Kesha Award for <laughs> Thinly Veiled Blowjob Metaphor in a song goes to Fergie for her track London Bridge, Tom. Oh, um, yes. You're familiar with that one? Yeah. Um, I'll just read out the lyrics from the start. Oh, shit. 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 You ready for this? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh I mean, shit, fair, oh that shit. Is my reaction when oh. Fergie comes on, I mean. It's me, Fergie, the pen. Plowow, Fergie, Ferg, that's what's up. When I come to the club, step aside. Oh shit, part the seas, don't have me in line. Oh shit, 
VIP because I gotta shine. Oh shit, I'm Fergie Ferg. Me love you long time. And she does the accent as well. Excellent. Oh shit. Old girls getting down on the floor. Oh shit. Back to back drop down Rulo. Oh shit. I'm a lady, but I'm dancing like a hoe. Oh shit. Because you know I don't give a fuck, so here we go. <laughs> How come every time you come around my London, my London bridge wants to go down? Like London, 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 want to go down? Like London, 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 be going down. Now, I don't know what in the living fuck she's talking about, but every time you come around, she's going down like London mm, Bridge. Now, mm, if you're a record executive, I would assume so. <laughs> absolutely. Um, it's good as well because when you watch the music video, there's a bit, she's on the boat and she's in the UK and she's yep. on the boat and they're in the background is Tower Bridge, yep. not London Bridge. Not London. So it's a common mistake. The, the, so she's focusing on Tower Bridge the whole time. The song's called London Bridge. It's a different fucking bridge. Um, so that just shows the attention to detail that yes. Fergie likes on this. But every time you come around, she's going down like London, London, London. Well, Gotta some go people down. did point out at the time that the London Bridge is a sexual position, ah. but it's one that involves four people, oh, the, uh, two couples, as it were. Well, it's coincidentally how many people are in the Black Eyed Peas, Tom, so... <laughs> Perhaps it is. That's very... true, although that would mean that another one of the male members was playing the girl in this situation. Definitely. Um, <coughs> taboo. taboo. I don't know. Yeah. You know, who could it be? I'm Definitely sure. Taboo, I think. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Just, yeah. So, yeah, her bridge is going down. Sure. Like London. Good. Sure. Um, look, I was going to bring up some of the movie songs of the decade. Did you have anything about that? Um, I do, but yeah, you hit me up, Tom, and I can I can jump. Oh, sure. On I mean, I know these are sort of they're sort of awards. I had some good stuff and some bad yep. stuff. Um, there really weren't that many movie songs in the awards. The only number ones in Australia that we covered were Jai Ho from Slumdog Millionaire, Lady Marmalade from Moulin Rouge, and Lose Yourself from Eight Mile. Compare that to the eighties when we'd cover two or three movie number ones per year with change left over for a bag of mixed. Adam's Family Groove. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that said, there were a few songs that made the charts via being featured in movies, if not written for them. Uh, Independent Woman by Destiny's Child was probably helped out by Charlie's Angels, but their dad submitted the track without asking the band, meaning that when they wrote the song, they certainly weren't imagining Drew Barrymore acting, which was lucky or the song would have just been the sound of a hemorrhoidal elephant slowly <laughs> crushing a synthesizer beneath its hideously inflamed anus. So fortunately, it wasn't that. But yeah, good stuff-wise, um, it was slim pickings, really, but a few I liked were uh, Man of Constant Sorrow from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That was the minor radio hit. Uh, new Slang by The Shins, featured in an armrest-grippingly embarrassing moment from the film Garden State by <laughs> Zach Braff. Uh, Woohoo by The Five Six Seven Eights from a much cooler scene in Kill Bill. And uh, who could forget Backdoor Lover from the underappreciated <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats? Uh, but I'll give my personal uh, non-ironic vote to You Know My Name from Casino Royale by Chris Cornell, R.I.P., which actually aged better than you'd think it would. Yeah. A grunge song in a James Bond thing sounds like a dumb idea, but it actually works better than you think. It's not really grunge, it's just his voice, you know. But yep. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and then shit on the shit side. Uh, 2004, Counting Crows, Accidentally in Love. 
Uh, in 2004, I was living with a friend, medical doctor, Timothy Goldsmith, who owned the entire Shrek 2 soundtrack on which this was the hit song. He played the whole soundtrack relentlessly for six months in between bursts of Casey, Chambers and Converge. Uh, repetition did not make me fall accidentally in love with this song. In fact, it made me want to accidentally put the CD in the toaster when Tim was at work. Yep, fair yeah. enough. Anything from you, movie-wise? Yeah, absolutely, Tom. Um, look, I think I'd have to say, movie-wise, my award for the uh, Russell Crowe Award <laughs> for scamming your way onto a movie soundtrack goes to um, the Boondog Saints, Tom. Oh, God. Um, oh, so yeah. you may recall the film The Boondog Saints. <laughs> yep. Well, there for those was a, who don't know. <laughs> well, Troy Duffy, the mastermind yep. behind The Boondog Saints, he was also in a band with his brother <laughs> called uh, The Brute. He but sure then was. they decided to change their name to the Boondock Saints because there's a movie called the Boondock Saints. Oh, okay. So <laughs> for those of you that don't know the story, he was working in a bar. Troy Duffy. Troy yeah. Duffy wrote a film yeah. um, called the Boondock Saints uh, and Harvey Weinstein yes. was so fucking into it. This he, was, sorry, this, this was is, in the like post- Tarantino yep. era is, when they were just scrabbling for anything yep. about two hit men who were wisecracking that they exactly. were anything they could get on the screen. So this yeah. happened in the very late 90s. Um, so yeah, basically Harvey Weinstein signed the dude up, yep. said, you've never written anything before? Have you ever directed anything? No, that's okay. You can direct this film. You're the writer. <laughs> I'm also in a band. I'm going to do the soundtrack as well. So he did that. He got basically the whole deal and they bought the bar for him. That he worked at. Yes, he was a bouncer. Yep. That was yeah, so, <laughs> so they gave him his... a massive record right signing fee as a writer. Yep. First time director, despite no experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Bought the bar that he worked yep. at just so he could laugh at his employers and signed his grunge band. Yeah, well. exactly. So the two songs... Uh, so yeah, they changed the name to the, the Boondock Saints. They had two songs on the soundtrack, <laughs> Holy Fool and Pipes. Okay. Um, both are... <laughs> I don't even know. They're, they're rock music, I guess. <laughs> but it's sort of that post... I, don't, I dare not even really say post-grunge. It's just really, just really, really grunge. bad. Um, but if you haven't seen the documentary um, Overnight, which Tom and I were actually talking about oh. briefly before, definitely watch that because it shows what happens when you are a man so arrogant with such a lack of self-awareness that you think you can do absolutely anything because Harvey Weinstein's given you a check for a few hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Turns out you can't. And it turns out that you're basically blackballing yourself <laughs> from the entire industry before you've even started. Because all this dude has done is the Boondock Saints, the Boondock Saints 2, mm-hmm. and then in 2021, he co-wrote a Rob Schneider film, <laughs> which has been critically panned as being total dog shit. So there you go. And uh, his band is absolutely <laughs> terrible as well. Um, for one of the worst videos of the decade, Tom... Um, he also showed up the Boondock Saints in a video um, <laughs> called Two Ravens. Now, oh, okay. this is, it has to be seen to be believed. It's black and white, so you know yeah. it's classy. A shirtless Troy Duffy, and, and, and let's just say he's not Peter Andre, <laughs> yeah. wakes up, just starts strumming his acoustic guitar. Oh. Then the rest of the band members are coincidentally sleeping on the floor in the oh, room okay. that he's on. They all wake up, and then they start 
playing the song together as if they'd already mm. like it's sort of like Troy's just saying I've just written this <laughs> then everyone else joins in and automatically knows it sure. and it's sort of like a it feels like a, a real low budget extreme more than words mm. um, but everyone's shirtless <laughs> and yeah and this is <laughs> I, I assume you directed the video as well it's a very high concept but um, that's fucking terrible so congratulations to this dude uh, for getting onto that soundtrack much like Russell Crowe did mm. with 30 odd foot of grunt um, when he was on <laughs> what was that? Yeah, sneaking around the set of uh, Virtuosity, Virtuosity recording an unofficial exactly. cam video yeah so that's definitely one of the worst but I guess you know like you Tom you also had one of the best as well so um Best song of the year definitely goes from from movie soundtrack. Definitely goes to um, Alvin and the Chipmunks for their track <laughs> "Get Mucked," uh, which appears yes. to be a song from a kids' film, which appears to be about banging a chipmunk. Yes. So, not quite <laughs> sure how that got approved, but yeah, yeah, it's a. If you haven't heard "Get Mucked," it's a sort of slow and sleazy pussycat dial, doll style sex jam. Mm. It's just that it's about wanting to fuck a chipmunk. Absolutely. Or so a chipmunk wanting to fuck you, perhaps. Yeah, no doubt. Hard to tell. No doubt. So, <laughs> anyway, that's that's the best from a soundtrack for me, Tom. Okay, look, guys, I cannot highly recommend... If you're a fan of Schadenfreude, of watching uh, people trip over their own asses. I cannot recommend Overnight enough. Truly. Oh, it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. There's so many great lessons to be learned from that film. <laughs> Maybe if you're a complete cunt, don't hire a documentary crew to document your rise to fame if you've never risen to fame before. And if you are going to do that, then don't piss off the documentary crew so much that even after you refuse to pay them, they keep filming you because you're such a prick that they're now going to write a documentary about what a cunt, what a you, cunt are. you are. Yeah, exactly. And also, if you're standing next to Harvey Weinstein and people look looking at Harvey Weinstein going, hmm, what a sympathetic figure. And maybe it might be a time for a trip down the old Hall of Mirrors, possibly. Absolutely right, yeah. yeah. It beggars belief, the, the way that he behaves, despite it's the fact that he's... unbelievable. It's sort of... I wouldn't expect, you know, a seasoned veteran 20 films into no. act with such arrogance and just sort of dickheadedness. I mean, who would have thought a bouncer would be like that if you gave him yeah. his power and money? I, I can't imagine. Exactly. Where. Yeah. Um, all right. What have we got next? Well, um, if you want, I can just read out a couple of awards if you want. Yeah, and sure. Hit me up with your, your weird shit if you want. So um, my LFO award for exceptional wordplay <laughs> goes to Britney Spears for her song, If You Seek Amy. <laughs> yeah. Now, this was controversial at the time. Um, you might be saying, what, what's this? Well, the song's called If You Seek Amy, but when Britney sings the chorus, it just says... All the boys and all the girls want to F U seek me. Basically <laughs> F U C K me. Basically <laughs> she says if you seek Amy, but it sounds like she's saying F U C K me. Mm. It's clever. It's clever. And it was very controversial <laughs> at the time. She also dials the baby voice in this one up about a thousand percent. So it's not great. Imagine someone releasing a single and it's just like Let's have the chorus saying everyone wants to F U C K me and it's just like, Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> but then no one's going to be able to release that as a single. It's like, if you, if, it sounds a bit like If You Seek Amy. Let's just call the song that. Max Martin, he's a genius. I won't mm. let anyone tell me otherwise. The worst part of that is in the video, they don't even trust that you can figure out this, you know, <laughs> yeah. fucking World War Two level of code breaking yeah, required exactly. to figure that out. So they have a fake, poorly acted newsreader 
introduction talking about Britney Spears on the news as though she was still getting on the news at this point. Yep. Just le- explaining what the double entendre actually yeah, means. Yeah, exactly. So you don't, God forbid, go into it unprepared for yep. this, you know. It's so and fucking come out stupid. Going, Who's this chick called Amy? I don't understand <laughs> exactly. what's going on. Exactly. Has she changed her name? Yeah, for sure. So that was completely moronic. Um, and my Black Eyed Peas Award, Tom, for <laughs> I Long for Your Own Old Material, even though I Never Cared for It Award, goes to the Venga Boys featuring Chica with their song Chica Bow Bow. Okay. Uh, which is a timeless song about a computer going into a nightclub and contracting a, a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> a computer. So, a computer, Tom, yeah. So, this which weird dream style, one of those computers that can sexually interact with human beings, is it? Yeah, the, the computer gets a, a, an STD through its joystick, <laughs> um, which is a, a, it's a very different subject matter for the Venga boys to deal with. Usually they're mm. talking about getting on the Venga bus and that sort of bullshit. But um, this one's about what can happen once you get off the Venga bus if you're a computer. Yeah. Features such lyrics as, The doctor checked my hard drive, a virus in my archive. My disc was not protected and now I am infected. <laughs> So the Venga Boys, re- uh, and should I mention it, features Chica, and after every line, it's just um, the, it's the co-artist on this just going, Chica Bow Bow. So it's that. The doctor checked my hard drive, Chica Bow Bow, a virus in my archive, Chica Bow Bow. It is fucking awful. Um, and yeah, it makes you really, really long for the days of the Venga bus. So good on them for, for really somehow knocking it down a couple of levels. All right, Tom, what do you got? Um, uh, weird stuff for the aughts, musically speaking. Uh, my favourite uh, little bit that I dug up was a Subset, who mm. were a band short-lived composed of the members of the Presidents of the United States of America <laughs> and Sir mix the president <laughs> of the Fat-Ass Appreciation Society of Jeez. America. Wow. They never made it as far as a whole album, but did appear on a musicblitz.com CD with the track Addicted to Fame, an addiction that they were to remain blissfully unaffected by. <laughs> that said, they did perform live on a couple of occasions, including at a festival. Uh, my favourite song is probably Skinnin' and Grinnin', although crowd favourite What Can I Lick always gets the party started when I use my time machine to visit the turn of the millennium again. <laughs> One thing that did survive thank goodness, is their only press release for Addicted to Fame. So wrap your listening gear around this shit. (laughs) Quote, Uncompromisingly original and completely accessible at the same time, Subset are the role model for 2000s contemporary artists. The Presidents of the United States of America are laid to rest in the cemetery of fallen soldiers, but the warrior spirit is alive and well in Subset. Reinforced by additional firepower in the form of Sir Mix-a-Lot, the three original members of the Presidents have reinvented themselves with this new track, which says much more than you think it does on first listen. This is more than just a song, Ben. It's a news report from the front lines of a war on musical artists. The body count is high. It's a lethal conflict. The songwriters are reporting as battle-scarred veterans of the highest levels of music business confrontation, and the good news is they've survived intact. Now they've snuck back into the game like the SAS on a covert operation. You gotta love these guys. Addicted to Fame is a wicked indictment of their time served in the pop star miasma, with full metal jacketed guitar bass figures wrapped around street beats that hit like an AK on full auto. But we're not talking thug life here, bro. We're talking brain power to the max. 
So Mix-a-Lot runs down a hard-edged lyric that speaks to the trick bag that is fame, full of dips and doodles, left turns and fat beats. The song reminds me why I liked music in the first place. (laughs) What's not to like? Hard funk beats and cool guitars and a message that doesn't talk down to the listener. These men have been there, done that, and had that done to them. Fame kills, show enough. Sadly, Ben, Subset's <laughs> unreleased album was lost to time, uh, so the bands no. of the next decade had to survive without the role model for 2000s contemporary <laughs> artists. The horrifying results can be simply evoked with two words, Ed and Sheeran. Yeah, look, some things are too good to be true, I feel, Tom, mm. and maybe, just maybe, that we weren't ready for it at the time. <laughs> maybe we'll never be ready, but I hope that the output was recorded and is in a vault somewhere and at and a certain yeah. period of time one of the presidents would say now <laughs> now's the time yes. we need to drop this in much the same way that so many people said to will i am um <laughs> can you please record where is the love again mm. can you please mm. the world needs that right now we need you will we're desperate yes. we need you to re-record where is the love and he did it so maybe at some stage someone will say to the presidents look we need you to drop that album that you did with Sir Mix Lot, because yes. I think the time is right for that message. I mean, as Fergie herself said, uh, she's so 3008 and yeah. you're so 2008. Exactly, exactly so I like right. to imagine that in 3008, there yep. will be a concert where Metallica and Lou Reed's Lulu will be yep. performed in its entirety, Absolutely. where the Black Eyed Peas' Where Is The Love will, you know... So you'll be hosting the, the event. you'll be I hosting think, so. it from a brain in a jar, yep. and our Subset will be performed. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny, I'm making a joke about that, but guess why Subset broke up, supposedly? To please hit me with it. Uh, oh. Well, apparently, Sir Mix-a-Lot wanted to take the band in a more hard-edged industrial metal type direction this is in 2000 when that would have actually been a pretty good idea whereas presidents of USA wanted to be more of a sort of lazy ass we've already made shitloads of money bar band kind of a direction yeah definitely as you know exhibited by their subsequent successes (laughs) all those other things they did yeah that's a shame look um, I hope that they do get together because that's a that's an unholy sort of alliance that I didn't see coming and I'd like to yes. I mean when people are oh you know did you hear that Metallica's teamed up with Lou Reed it's like yeah that is pretty crazy but I think even crazier <laughs> is the presidents of the United States of America teaming up with Sir Mix-a-Lot so, mm. um, I just yeah. wish someone would dig up some long lost subset tracks that yeah. we never got to hear it's yeah, a shame it is a shame <laughs> wow didn't see that happening <laughs> no, it's it's all right. no cool uh, all right, what have we got next? Um, I've got the Lost Del Rio and Lost Del Mar. I can't believe that was done once, let alone fucking twice award. <laughs> sure. And that goes to DJ Otzi and the Fast Food Rockers for the Fast Food song. Oh, um, you yes. may recall DJ Otzi, that fuckwit from Austria who churned out some bullshit uh, earlier in the decade. Well, he did the um, a Pizza Hut, a Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Pizza Hut. He did a dance song of that. Wow. And another group called the Fast Food Rockers also... Released oh that exact God. same song. So oh twice in the decade, God. Macarena style. Um, <laughs> and I believe one of them, by the fast food rockers, did, Tom, reach the top of the charts in the United Kingdom. Oh so it doesn't surprise me at all. So there's With a that. cover of the Of a child fo- playground chant, yes. so, which, is, which is great. Not even an actual nursery rhyme, just some yep. idiotic shit that 
five-year-old say. Yeah. Um, the, the long-lost John Lennon song award, uh, Tom, goes to the cheeky girls with their hit Touch My Bum. <laughs> I think that was one of the Beatles tracks that may have been in a vault or something, and they, they tracked that down. So if you're unfamiliar with the cheeky girls, they're um, identical twins out of Romania um, that just did a lot of songs like Touch My Bum, etc. Big, uh, big, life, <laughs> big in the UK. <laughs> surprisingly so um, and one more Tom uh, the Brett Michaels award for best theme song from a rock of love knockoff um, this goes to Teela Tequila for I love you ah. if you and that's from her show a shot of love um, <laughs> if anyone can remember did, did Teela Tequila does anyone remember her fucking hell she was a I think she, I think the last she was time a MySpace. She was getting bottled off stage at one of the March of the Juggalos. That... Yeah, <laughs> so she her claim to fame was a lot of friends on MySpace, I think, mm. and then she did like an OnlyFans thing, like twenty sort of years before. Proto influencer. Yeah, yeah, so sort of that ended up with her own dating show, basically like Rock of Love, but because she was bisexual, there were girls and guys on there yeah. trying to win her affection. So. You know, 20 years ago, I guess that was kind of innovative. Now no one would give two fucks. But um, yeah, she was pretty whack. The insane thing about this is that that means that Rock of Love not only had, what, four seasons? Um, Three, I think. Three seasons. Two and then the Love Bus. (laughs) So three seasons, but it also had two separate spin-offs. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Charm School and that one. I was unaware of that. Yeah. Yeah. I also I called it March of the Juggalos, but I was meant gathering. Gathering. You don't, March of you the don't Juggalos want... is that nature documentary about the lengths that two Juggalos will go to yeah. uh, have sex with each other during mating season, <laughs> crossing the tundra with nothing to sustain themselves but jars of discount soft drink. Absolutely right. Um, and one more. This shit is so weak, it makes <laughs> Hinder sound like Typo Negative Award. Um, that goes to Scouting for Girls. We, she's so lovely, if you oh, remember that yeah, song. Yeah, I do. That sucks. Um, which features some of the worst lyrics of the decade. Uh, she's flirty, turned 30, ain't that the age a girl gets real dirty? Now, Not really. I don't really know about that. <laughs> Have you sort of... I don't know what's who the sort of chick scouting for girls are hanging out with. <laughs> you know, they're dating 29-year-olds. You know, they're like, oh, you, you want to hold my hand in public? They're like, oh, I don't really know. It's mm. a bit too much. Second they turn 30, they're just shitting on their chest. So I'm not quite sure like what's yeah. going on with this. Also, but, if you've yeah. seen the video for that, the members of Scouting for Girls, it doesn't really matter whether the chick's dirty or not because you'd have to be blind to go out with any of you freaks. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> they look like the guys who weren't hot enough to be busted. Yeah, it, the song's fucking garbage and the lyrics are terrible and everything about yeah, it sucks. I nearly so. put that on my list. That was appalling. You yeah, were right. terrible. Yeah, I was going to uh, do a, a word award for perviest music video ever because I am the perv authority on this podcast. What do you got? Uh, well, it, it really was an era. I mean, we, we have more explicit videos now yeah. and there were plenty of pervy videos in the 90s and the 80s. Girls on film by Duran Duran springs yeah. to mind. But the 90s was sort of peak uh, titillation, but not quite, but still with some censorship sort of thing. So you really had to think outside the box, as it were. Yep. Chortle, etc. Uh, so there were, the main contender has to be, of course, Call On Me by Eric Bridge. Absolutely. That was a number one in the UK, Ireland, Germany, France, Austria, Norway, etc. in 2004. Yep. 
The video memorably features 24-year-old Australian backup dancer named Deanne Berry, who showed up to the shoot expecting the video to just be some trashy dance thing that goes nowhere, like most low-budget techno videos did. Instead, it led to her becoming an aerobics instructor, mm. releasing a range of exercise DVDs, Ministry of Sound, dancing on stage and We Will Rock You, becoming a professional backup dancer, you know, on the world stage, and now living as a mum in Bondi, running a fitness studio called Deanne Berry Bodies. <laughs> really? Yeah, not right. to be confused with Dion Berry's Bodies. That's a different <laughs> fitness studio run out of the western suburbs with a more sort of shovel-focused workout program. Uh, <laughs> the song itself samples a re worked hook from the Steve Winwood song Valerie. Sure does. Yeah, not to be confused with that other famous song called Valerie by Mark Ronson and um, Amy Winehouse, uh, which was originally used by DJ Falcon and drumroll Thomas Bangalter from Daft Punk. Ooh. They used to use that in uh, concert. Now, just to, I thought that was interesting, if you forgive me, uh, just to clarify something we've talked about a lot, but I wasn't totally 100% uh, down on. Um, song copyright is split into two things. You've got the songwriting copyright and the master recording copyright. Yep. Hence Taylor Swift's um, the ability Taylor's to get oh yeah exactly. Yes. she's re-recording all of her old albums so yes. she can avoid the. She wants people to listen to yes. her version on Spotify because yeah, she, she already has the, the songwriting, songwriting yeah, but she doesn't get the, the master recording. Exactly. Songs. Yep. It's also that insane thing where do you remember for a while speaking of Michael Jackson. Somehow got through like an auction. He got the uh, songwriting rights to like the Lennon and McCartney. Yeah, he bought he bought the publishing rights. Yeah, for, all those Beatles for like songs, I ten think, years. And all the yeah, which they were only on sale because some fucking record executive had scammed them out of them when they were all like twenty yep. in the first place, and then needed some cash, and he outbid them because back then Michael Jackson was richer than the Beatles, and but, he also figured out that. There'd be money to come in off oh, those yes. master yeah, recording absolutely. copyright forever. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. so um, what makes sampling a pain in the ass nowadays in the years since Paul's Boutique, now that you have to do it properly, <laughs> is that you need both copyrights for a legal sample, even if it's just a little five-second thing. Yep. However, there is a sneaky backdoor which Prids used with Call On Me. He took his unofficial dance track, which he'd already knocked off of someone else, which they'd already knocked off of the two French guys. Uh, he took that, but what they hadn't done was take it to Steve Winwood yep. and play it to him. And he liked it enough to give them permission to use the hook. And then he said, oh, well, there's a problem. I can't get the official thing. So how about you re-record the vocal sections that I need, which I've kind of adjusted a little bit. So then he took those recordings to a place called Replay Heaven, which is a company with a website that specialises in this exact situation. So what they will do is they'll take a legal snippet of an existing piece of copyright material and recreate the backing music so that it sounds exactly like the original master, Perfect. but it isn't, so then you avoid needing to get a clearance. The fact that a company exists just to do that should give you some indication of how much record companies charge for a fucking two-second sample, which yep. is why people like to do that shit. Anyway... Getting back to the song, the song was a huge hit. The video made it 50 times more popular than it ever would have been otherwise. And Deanne Berry woke up to discover that her ass was famous, like the cover of the, <laughs> the 12 inches, just her ass. Yeah. Tony Blair famously said that when the video came on at his gym, he fell off his rowing machine. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but Ben, there was another contender for the yep. title of Pervious Video of the Orts, 
which was Satisfaction by Benny Benassi. Now, there are two videos for this song. The only one anybody remembers features a sort of pseudo-commercial for various power tools and items of construction equipment. Their functions demonstrated in some detail by, among other people, uh, Playboy Playmate Suzanne Stokes, Jerry Byrne, Rachel Hallett and Thekla Roth. These videos are both just straight-up pervfests in a style not seen since 1981 television you were talking about, when it was okay to advertise chocolate milk to kids with a wet T-shirt contest, (laughs) or for the cameraman at Test Cricket to while away the afternoon, just relentlessly upskirting the hottest chicks in the stand because he couldn't be fucked following seagulls around. Uh, To me, what pushes these two pervathons over the edge to become sort of archive-quality pop artefacts of the era is this. Despite real, decent quality production values, choreography and talent involved in both of them, neither of them have anything to do with the songs at all. Not even vaguely. None of the musicians appear in either of them, nor do the subjects of the videos relate in any way to the lyrics of either of the songs or the original songs that they're sampling from. But thanks to some quality, A-grade, high-end perviness, they both now exist in these sort of steamed-up little hermetic bubbles, forever sealed in the male gaze of the mid-aughts for future generations to, I guess, crank one out to. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I think, you know, it's pointless to accuse something of exploitative objectification when that's the stated goal of the thing. Yeah. Like, the videos for Cherry Pie, Milf Money, or Anaconda spring to mind, you know. You can't get angry at a VHS tape of Electric Blue for failing the Bechdel test. (laughs) That's correct. That's not really what it was designed for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Small addendum. Um, Perviest video ever graphic designers only subcategory goes to DVNO by Justice who both met at design school before they became a band. The video contains no nudity or human beings at all, but has been known to make professional designers of both gender have embarrassing trouser accidents. Have you seen that one? I haven't, no. It is just transitions between animated logos, just glistening, white-hot nude logos. Okay. Mm, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. It's great. DVNO. It's also a banger of a song, too. Cool, I'll, check, I'll definitely check that out. Um, <laughs> no. um, yeah, I'm look, sure you haven't seen those other videos because you're, you know... A couple of points on that Eric Pritz video, yeah. Um, a, it's great that the, the chick was able to parlay that into a lifelong career of whatever yes, because yeah. um, the video is just a lot of close-ups on her ass, like yes. exceptionally amounts and of that. And the, so. dan- the other dancers too were in the aerobics videos, yep. which is good because the Ministry of Sound who put out that thing, the video and the song, must have made a fuckload of money off essentially her and that one sample Oh, you know, for Steve sure. Winwood. So I hope Deanne Berry and Steve Winwood and the other dancers got a decent chunk of that cash. Yeah. You know? Well, Tom, interestingly, the video was the highest downloaded music video of all time in Australia. <laughs> um, downloaded over 35,000 times through three mobile mobile phones um, using 3G technology. So at the time, it would have taken some time in association with Rage Music television show. So that, This that was happened. at the time, at when, the you time when there was no YouTube. No, you yeah. had to down, download it 35,000 times, which is a lot. Ministry of Sound presented three mobile with a, the mobile equivalent of a gold record in Australia because <laughs> it was downloaded so many times. I um, also remember, like you, they, you can tell they knew how good this was because... There was no separate video 
single. So if you wanted the video of this, you had to buy the Ministry of Sound 2004 annual like four-disc yeah. set, which cost about $70 that had the DVD in yeah. it. So basically they were selling this, they were basically holding this video to hostage with this $70 brick of shit dance songs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, the fact that 35,000 people downloaded it through their mobile phone in 2005 is yes, insane because crazy. you got to remember this is pre-iPhone so the screens would have been dog shit it would yes. have been like a Nokia 3210 <laughs> type scenario like CCTV like, footage uh, it would have yeah. taken exactly and imagine how long it would take so that's crazy that, that so many people needed that so um, yeah super interesting yeah Steve Winwood that's a sick song Valerie um, Higher Love is one of my all time favourites yeah so he's Steve got Winwood's a lovely 80s voice yeah. and um yeah, just as you mentioned with the whole sampling thing and getting samples cleared, you mentioned Avalanches earlier um, in the podcast with, with their album, Since I Left You. Um, they had to have somewhere, well, some sources say 3,000, but other people yeah. say it's probably closer to, to 800. But even then, 800 samples cleared to get that shit out. So yeah, you'd hope you had a bulk absolutely deal, insane that they were able to. So power to the person that, did the sample clearing on that because that would have been a full-time job for for <laughs> some time i would say to get all those samples cleared so yeah yeah which an incredible feat well that, that was modular as yeah exactly previously mentioned but yeah. exactly so that was that's crazy so um yeah i think that's it though i guess if you're working in that sort of plunder phonics type thing you're gonna yeah. get, you're gonna have to get you well it's sort of it's it's odd though because i have read a few people sort of saying oh look why do I need to get should should someone need to get a cleared sample for using two seconds of a 1958 yeah. surf record that's been long forgotten and no one knows anything about it you know it's not quite in this case with this song obviously the the whole hook of this song is that Steve Winwood sample they re-recorded it yeah. obviously but when you take that sort of sample it's like without that the yeah. song wouldn't exist but when you're the avalanches and you're stitching together a hundred couple of second yeah. samples to or like make this Paul's song boutique where it's yeah just Paul's bits, boutique bits as well songs that you wouldn't even recognize yeah. otherwise yeah you know DJ shadow as well so all those sorts of things where especially when it's forgotten stuff if it's a big hit yeah and you're trying to sample ABBA or something as as the KLF learnt it's, it's not really going to work <laughs> but if you're just sampling forgotten things you yeah. found in an op shop it does sort of beg the question you're creating something new from these parts that sort of, mm. you know, so anyway, so look, sampling, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a crazy sort of thing. And I think unfortunately at the moment, the rules around sampling does, you know, get in the way of people from producing something new in that sort of hip hop world, I think. So yeah. if you have to get everything cleared, it doesn't give you that creative freedom to just sort of do no. things. So, and I understand that, yeah, you need to, give the creator some sort of credit but I know what you mean there's sort a, of there's a difference between sampling and doing those hip hop covers like we were talking yeah. where it's like a, a song that you just like you're getting an instrumental version and then doing a new rap over the top of it yeah exactly or like mashups where you're taking two songs that happen to fit together and putting them together yeah but it's you know half and half and like you say, just little sprinkled fragments of things that no one would be able to identify really. Yeah. Otherwise, but yeah. Exactly. Well, who cool. knows? 
Uh, yeah, uh, well, what else? Um, I've got the last catch-up award time oh, yeah, for <laughs> the worst attempt at getting a shit dance craze off the ground, and that, of course, goes to Soldier Boy for Crank That. Um, good on him for giving it a go. It was the biggest dance craze since the Macarena, apparently, mm. so his song about masturbation, so good on him. So he was a true pioneer of that rapping style where no one has any idea what the fuck you're saying. You yeah. know, now how like mumble rap and that sort of like yeah. Soldier Boy was well ahead of his time and it's like, get a son there, got a Soldier Boy there. Like no one, knows. you can't understand anything that's going on there. Um, the follow-up single to Crank That, Kiss Me Through the Phone, is fucking full stupid. That shit's ridiculous. Makes no sense at all. How, weird, kiss me through the phone. The name, how could you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So good on you to Soldier Boy there. Um, the Entrance Award for a trash Eurobeats cover of a 20-year-old plus song. Um, really <laughs> tough category, this one. The runner-up, uh, I gave that to DJ Sammy for her cover of the Brian Adams classic Heaven. Um, and she also followed that up with um, The Boys of Summer, you may remember, mm, so great hits. But yes. for me, I had to give the uh, the award to Bass Hunter for their cover of Please Don't Go, So, oh, God. which is um, Bass Hunter's really another, another... They're another great <laughs> entrance-style Eurobeat oh. group that just pumps out <laughs> some of the worst shit I've ever heard in my life. So I think we should point out Bass Hunter's... Uh, Oeuvre, go and don't check any of it out. So it's no good. Sure. Um, what have you have you got a best video of the decade? Um, I do. Yeah. Well, I sort of. Well, I guess yeah. Best best video. Um, or at least oh, you can do something else if you want. No, no, no. It's sort of. Um, I had sort of. Um, yeah. Interesting video. Is it the best? Not sure, but um, sure. I quite like uh, Basement Jacks. Where's your head at? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like that because <laughs> there's that <laughs> there's that stupid science guy that's made like a puppet of a monkey dancing, yeah. and he's trying to show it to the dude. And he's like, "This is fucking <laughs> the stupidest shit I've seen." He's all like sciencey, going, "Look at this!" And then they go into the room and they've animated the faces like onto some monkeys, monkeys that are playing some an <laughs> instrument. So that's sort of in an Aphex Twin Award for like kind of weird, yeah, yes. entertaining videos. I also I just clicked over for changing channels uh, recently and they were talking about uh, some music video show and they just mentioned in passing that video and they said something about those monkeys being really really hard to control in real life which may explain why they're sort of skitterish terrifying energy when they go bad and start freaking out is kind of comes across so well in the film the sort of horrified reaction of the people is not entirely acting it's kind of wild monkeys just rip the room up and throw shit around good good what have you got um well i was gonna go uh best video um Sure. Uh, well, look, remember when I said that Daft Punk were the coolest band for 20 years? I know why you want me to hear me talk more about Daft Punk, but uh, their second album for 2001 was so fucking good that it took people a few years to even realise how good it was. Still longer in America, like as mentioned last week, Discovery was clearly destroying the black-eyed peas feeble brains as late as 2009. Mm. Uh, the two robots could have just bought big houses in Ibiza and done lazy videos with the local thoughts in their backyard for a decade. 
But they're not David Guetta, they're fucking Daft Punk. So instead, they spent $4 million to create an animated 65-minute dialogue-free anime movie called Interstellar 5555, the story of the secret star system, and all the S's are fives in that, just to show that they're French. Yep. Uh, the project took three years to produce in collaboration with Japanese designer Leiji Matsumoto. The 66-year-old had worked on films like Galaxy Express, 999, Arcadia, and Akira over his 25-year career. And each of the characters on Interstellar 5555 portrays different visual styles of Matsumoto's animations throughout his career, which is the kind of detail that you would not get unless you were a real retro anime nerd like because they're all styled in particular like one's a sort of 70s style anime character one's a mid 70s one's a late 80s style character and that sort of thing the whole thing looks 100% authentic and gorgeously hand animated because it is like because they paid a guy to do it uh, was this concept influenced by the majestically overblown three-part November Rain trilogy (laughs) yes I'm saying that it was but that's how influences work like, for instance, Daft Punk might be the coolest band who ever existed, but that doesn't mean that their entire look, vibe, and sound would exist without the intro sequence for the 1983 French-Japanese kids' show Ulysses 31, mm. composed by Shuki Levy and Haim Saban. As you may have guessed, that's my personal vote for best TV show theme of all time, and if you don't believe me about the Daft Punk thing, just listen to it. I shit you not. If you want to know where Daft Punk came from, watch that. And they're our age, so that means that they were watching it at the same age that I was, e.g. a verity formative one. Yeah. I don't know what was in the water in 1983, but there's also a second theme to that same TV show by Denny Crockett, which is a sort of funk rock Queen-style thing that, while not as good as the Shuki Levy sort of electro version, is still better than any song, say, Brian Adams wrote in his entire <laughs> career. And I was going to ask, which cartoon theme show should be remixed on the charts right now, do you reckon? Right now? Yes, um, it's time for it to make a comeback. Oh, look, I'd probably have to say Samurai Pizza Cats. Um, oh, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of puns about cats going on in there, I think. Yeah, definitely that. Um, but of course, also, any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a, is a perennial favourite. T-U-R-T-L-E power. Yeah. Yeah. I know that Kanye West did recently sample a hideous CGI character called Glob Glob Glab Glab from a terrible low-budget kids film called Strawinsky in the Mysterious House. Oh, did he? <laughs> so that could be next. Good, good. <laughs> good to see Kanye. He's always drawing from from such a diverse <laughs> array um, to sort of put together his sound collages, Tom. So that's what I respect about him the most. People were joking about this at the time. That was one of his bizarre listening tours where oh, he's sitting yeah. on the porch of a fake house yep. in a football stadium next to a sexual predator with a hood over on his head <laughs> while this CGI sample thing's going blub, 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 blub. he's an innovator Tom genius pushing, yeah, madness. Definitely, definitely. also the only reason that he would ever know about that was because a couple of weird influences not influences a couple of weird meme people had put that on obscure YouTube videos which means that Kanye either is crazy enough that he'd seen this no no one's ever seen this fucking video yeah. thing or he was watching YouTube influences at 3am and went that's a that's sample that's crazy I'll use that yeah 
And one of the one of the two places that it was, the guy was joking that he was listening to Donda, like he did a fake Donda with just stupid fake songs. The joke being that at this point Kanye West's so crazy that it might as well be this thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's possible that Kanye West was Googling Donda. Yeah. It came up with someone's fake Donda and thought that that was funny and then put it in the actual in the real Donda. Thing. That's good. So who knows? You can't tell with Kanye. You cannot. You never know. You can. It's gone full circle though, Tom. It's sort of where does it start? Where does it end? Who does it know? Look, um, and everyone should listen to Ulysses Thirty One um, soundtrack because it's fucking great. I'll put the links on here. There's dance yep. remix and a rock cover and stuff. That's how good it is. Yeah, what so, have you got? Well, that that sixty-five minute video they broke that up into a couple of songs. Is that right? The, I, ha- I have seen a couple of songs. Five videos yeah. that are t- they're like excerpts from it because yeah. it has no lyrics. You can yeah, just yeah. pull out sections from it, but cool. it does tell a whole story. So yeah, yeah. Nice. or six. Sorry, it's yeah, six of their videos off that album come from that. But yeah. Cool. Um, the Limp Biscuit Award, Tom, for bands that should have stayed broken up, goes to Buck Cherry, um, who in two thousand six released their hit single "Crazy Bitch." Um, hey, you're a crazy bitch, but you fuck so good. I'm on top of it. When I dream, I'm doing you all night. Scratches down my back to keep me right on. So you're a crazy bitch. Wow. Um, and the video clip, I think there's, it's in a, they're in a prison. So it's really, really good. Mm. Um, I mean, Are there the, any hot girls in prison? Oh, uh, there aren't. No, there is, yeah. The song is uh, terrible, but I guess... Where did the band... You know, they didn't really have anywhere else to go when their debut single was I love that cocaine, I yeah. love that cocaine in like a joke Scott Wheeling voice. <laughs> like if someone said, yeah. can, you do a, can you do a Stone Temple Pilots like comedy impersonation? That'd be me going, I love that cocaine, I love that to cocaine. To me, it seemed like they were a band who'd seen that, you know, apart from, you know, as previously noted, apart from the Spaghetti Incident cover album that Guns N' Roses weren't in a hurry to put anything out, yep. they'd gone, hey, we can fill that vacuum without going, oh, the reason that Guns N' Roses haven't put anything out is because that sound doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. But going, no, we can fill a vacuum that's empty for a reason. They were <laughs> and, like... Uh... But, they, I mean, there were six... That song, that lit, that was a kind of low-key hit that, yeah, yeah. you know... Was it lit up? Lit think, up, yeah. yeah. I'm on a plane with cocaine. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid when you look at it now. But um, yeah, they sort of no they, stupider than Limp Bizkit. No, no, of more course, fun no. than Limp Bizkit. Yeah, although, definitely. You know, Crazy bitches or toenails is more fun than Limp Bizkit. Yeah, I mean they they sort of they were like an Aerosmith through a post grunge yeah. filter or something. I yeah. don't really know, but yeah. Um, the Robbie Williams absolutely no need for you to be rapping ever award um, goes to the bass player from Corn Fieldy who oh, released okay. um, a rap album Fieldy's Dreams which features Vanilla Ice level quality raps um, from the Corn bassist sure um, the song Baby Hugh Hef is one of the, the highlights oh from the album Baby Hugh Hef let me rub it in your face I got millions in the bank from playing bass don't hate because you can't relate. I'm counting my money all the way to the bank. I've got everything I want and everything I see. I'm a pimp by blood, just like Jay-Z. <laughs> now, 
Jay Z is arguably one difference between the two. Well, that's the thing. I mean, <laughs> maybe two pushed. Whether he is or isn't, you know, a lot of people say that Jay Z is one of the, you know the better or best rappers that, that's you know been around, and you know you can agree with that or you can't. But at least people make the argument for that. So comparing yourself to Jay Z is quite the stretch, considering yeah. this is some of the worst rapping I have heard since Vanilla Ice. Um, there's a full album of this. I don't think he released a follow up, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, the lyric, the, the chorus also features him saying, I'm baby Hugh Hef, corn brings the porn. Oh, so, I don't know what that and even means. the image of baby Hugh Hef just an awesome thing to put into your list of Yeah, brains? I don't know, pretty bad. So, um, on a similar note to the uh, Buck Cherry one, I've got the One Direction the band should have stayed together as now they've broken up and the individual members are all releasing pure bullshit award. Um, yep. That goes to Motley Crue, Tom, um, <laughs> because Tommy Lee uh, went on to have a pretty shit solo career. Yeah. His song, Hold Me Down, Tom, imagine Tommy Lee trying to do his very best Crazy Town impersonation, mm. but falling short of the quality imparted on the world by Shifty Shellshock. And that's about where you're getting with that Motley Crue, Tommy Lee solo song. Yeah. He did He did have another stab at it later in the decade where he went for like a Jack Johnson, I'm um, just a sort of acoustic beach dude sort of situation, oh, shit, which really? was worse than the rap metal phase, <laughs> if you can believe that. And of course, Tommy Lee was, um, that's his solo work. He was also in Methods of Mayhem. Oh, you may yes, recall as of well, course. Yeah. Which is absolutely terrible. That was sort of a poor man's Motley Crue, which at that point had turned into a sort of poor man's Limp Bizkit, which yeah. is very poor. So, that man is broke, motherfucker. So that <laughs> was terrible. Broke, man. Yeah, um, and of course the other members as well. Vince Neil has been doing solo shit 30 yep. years past his prime. I mean, that dude... <laughs> Can't, he's a worse singer than I think I am at this stage if he could ever sing at all he's looking real puffy and out of shape and we shouldn't forget that he's a murderer as well so we should yes. just throw that out there yeah. his shit's been terrible um, and then Nikki Six has, has been an array of dog shit <laughs> wannabe Motley Crue bands 6am all kinds of trash so yeah. all of them I think um, yeah I don't know they've all done garbage <laughs> so they probably should have stayed together well Tommy Lee's star has probably risen just a tiny bit recently with the release of Tommy and Pam, yep, uh, Pammy, that uh, uh, HBO series or HBO style series, which paints him in a quite sympathetic light, which I'm not entirely sure if he actually deserves. If yeah. we're being honest, I mean, it's hard to tell between the tabloid reports of things that he got up to, EBG, EG being a wife beater and stuff, the divorce reports, which are always, you know. Johnny yep. Depp, Amber Heard style, highly exaggerated, skewed versions from both sides. Yeah. And the sort of uh, biography style, it's all a joke. Hey, you know, look, I made a lot of mistakes, but I'm basically a cool dude with a huge dick kind of thing. It's hard to tell where the actual truth is, but, you know, who knows? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If I was him, I'd settle for my many, many gold records and everybody thinks you've got a huge dick. Yep, just In fact, it it's amazing he didn't do a third spin-off of Rock of Love called Cock of Love, you know, where people win a chance to... There's still time. Know, bang. Absolutely <laughs> still time. Definitely. Look, uh, I had a smaller award just uh, for fave diss track, personally. Uh, I put 
go for Rock in the Suburbs by Ben Folds. Oh, yeah. Uh, ben Folds is easy to dislike. On the one hand, he's collegiate, kind of smarmy, used to tour with Ben Lee and Ben Queller at the same time. <laughs> and plus, this song was licensed to both Over the Hedge and Marley and Me. On the other hand, Ooh. he has undeniably good lyrics, and this song is catchy as fuck. I'm not sure if you agree or not, but I definitely think it's got catchiness. Um, look, I love a good diss song, and this song trashes the mainstream new metal scene, which had already turned into a sort of self-parodying disaster by the time Korn were on the Family Values tour, getting blazed <laughs> on stage with iced tea and pink um, Adidas-sponsored sequin track pants before riding a gold BMX around in circles and seeing about how people call you a faggot in grade seven. You know, in Launceston, any gender of any age can get called a faggot simply by standing near passing traffic and being alive, but somehow nobody felt the need to start a drop D abusing twang fest with a turntable up the back on the street with that. Uh, yeah, Rock in the Suburbs, just like Quiet Riot did, Rock in the Suburbs, except that they were talented. I'm Rock in the Suburbs, I take the checks and face the facts that some producer with computers fixes all my shitty tracks. Did Ben Folds invent Linkin Park, do you think? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Let's say they didn't not invent them. Yep. Uh, basically, this song does for new metal what Pulps sorted for Ease and Whiz did for rave culture, e.g. make you feel slightly ridiculous for liking it in the first place. But that's the magic of music, you know? Yep. You can like both things. You can like this song while also liking the first few albums from Corn, Rage and System of a Down. You can like Josh Winks and Pulp. You can like the Beastie Boys and Hooker with a Penis by Tool, you know? Yeah. Just don't tell Maynard or he'll kick you fair in the ghoulies with a spiky platform goth boot he bought it off your tree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> seems to be what he, where he's doing most of his shopping these days. I think so. And his uh, makeup purchases <laughs> and hair products as yeah. well, if you've seen him recently. Yeah. Yeah. What have you got? Um, the MC Scat Cat Award, <laughs> um, memori- sorry, the MC Scat Cat Memorial Award, Tom, for Best Animated Character Song, and that one goes to uh, Hampton the Hamster for uh, yes. the Hamster Dance. Um, yeah, one which, of the many Crazy Frog follow-ups. Which reached probably. number five in Australia and makes MC Scat Cat look like <laughs> Prince, um, comparatively. Yeah. Legit gives Crazy Frog a run from his money for most annoying vocal performance. <laughs> Um, Hampton the Hamster doubled down with a cover of Thank God I'm a Country Boy after this. <laughs> Let's just say it is fucking annoying as shit. So if you love Crazy Frog, give Hampton the Hamster a go. So Let's just say John Denver looking down from heaven was probably glad he took his ultralight out for a flight that oh, day once he heard that cover. He, you wouldn't want to be alive when that <laughs> no. came out, I think. So he's in a better place, um, wherever that may be, in the ground, just dead. But I guess what you've got to understand, Tom, is that after the success of Crazy Frog, there really was a grunge-style rush from the record labels to find that next ringtone character to sell millions and millions of albums and, and look it was easy for the grunge guys they sort of they're you know they're in LA they get on a plane to Seattle it's what an hour or two away they, they get up there they you know go to a show they just see some guy going oh it's down again it's down sign that you know you sell five million albums it was easy for them to find the next grunge band but it's it's not easy to find the next crazy frog i mean for one they don't actually exist they're not sort of a real thing they're just sort of animated but they were looking for that talent they saw the talent of crazy frog they saw the sales of crazy frog and they said we need someone else 
to come in here with that much talent, an animated ringtone type character that can sell millions of albums. And look, Hampton the Hamster, right place, right time. They got that guy involved. And look, you know, the rest is history. Some of the most annoying shit known to man. Um, I've also got the, the Crazy Town Award for pushing rap rock to its logical conclusion. <laughs> sure. Swizz Beats featuring Ja Rule and Metallica. We did it again. So this is around the Sananga period of Metallica when they're at an all-time low. For whatever reason, they agreed to team up with Ja Rule and Swizz Beats for... Fuck knows what this is. My lifestyle. It's it's, it's rap. (laughs) It's rock. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, And I don't think Metallica talk about it at all. Um, What was Ja Rule's hit? Remind me. Oh, did he even He's have it? He kind of disappeared. Yeah, I don't know. Not a, I mean, hit might be stretching. It, yeah. I what think, enabled him to perform with Metallica rather than a desperate desire for that filthy Luca? Yeah, I don't know. Is Jar Rule just who you get when you, you know, you phone <laughs> up? Can't get Jay Z. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You, you phone up DMX and he's busy. <laughs> So it's like, we'll see what Ja Rule's up to. <laughs> yeah. What's, um, yeah, definitely. Who's the dude that does uh, the, the Pimp My Ride? Who hosts oh, Exhibit. Exhibit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exhibit's not, he's, he's busy. So let's get ludicrous Ja Rule on the phone. thinks your suggestion is ludicrous. Yeah, so um, that's, it's, the reason that's so bad is that I forgot that Metallica had sort of teamed up with someone to do like a rap rock thing. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. And yeah, it was pretty bad. So, <laughs> yep. Uh, Bob Geldof Award, Tom, for yep. Worst Charity Song. Artists Against AIDS Worldwide. What's going on? Now, it's not great, but what takes it to next level terrible is the inclusion of Fred Durst. Mm. And he does he a rap verse <laughs> after like an actual rapper. Oh, and uh, <laughs> the juxtaposition in quality is something to behold. So, yeah, I don't really know. I think it's sort of one of those things where <laughs> the, the AIDS patients don't really want the cure if no. it's funded by a Fred Durst rap verse, I think. Don't so, want it. Don't no, need it. Exactly. So, terrible. Also, I'd put that on Fred's manager for allowing him to go next in the queue after an actual rapper. Yeah, yeah, not well. so great. If you're doing that, you're not doing your job, you know. Absolutely. Uh, Def Leppard Let's Get Rocked Award for <laughs> music video with horribly aged CGI goes to The Offspring for Hit That. So, might not one. have seen that one. but what happens um, in that one? Uh, someone's just wearing this blue mask. It looks real bad. Like, oh, it's okay. sort of, like someone's in the metaverse, but with like 1995 technology. Sure. So yeah. I think they use that Black Eyed Peas entering the Matrix technology. Yeah, exactly. Um, and look, certainly for me, Tom, the, the Tom Cochran award for lyrical cultural impact mm-hmm. must go must go to metallica you mentioned it before frantic tit frantic <laughs> tick 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 frantic tick tick great yeah. um and which of course features the the seminal lyric my lifestyle <laughs> determines my death style <laughs> yes. also that frantic tick it's hard to explain or it's not too hard to explain if you try just saying it yourself with your mouth but it's fucking irritating frantic it's just annoying, like it just yeah. Yeah, I don't. I can't recall whether it's frantic or the actual song Sananga, where they filmed the video clip in um, 
yeah. in San Quentin prison. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. And I think, you know, the, the dude, these are hardcore dudes mm-hmm. um, that are in prison for some serious offences. And they hear Metallica's coming, they're like, okay, sick. I hope they play, you know, Fight Fire with Fire or, you know, something off Master of Puppets, whatever the case may be. Everyone's pumped up. They show up and do my lifestyle determines my death style and I think even if you if you were on death row you'd be just wanting them to end it you'd mm, basically be like yeah. I was going to appeal my sentence but let's just do it now let's get me in the electric chair because yeah. I don't want to see this I'm more let Jeez. down now than a 25 year sentence having to listen to this this is terrible now, if the next song was off load you'd be looking at a full scale riot in that place oh you? definitely right so I mean <laughs> that, that one where Kurt where it's wearing a pink feather boa and Lars has got his nipple <laughs> rings out stuff. until Jesus. it sleeps yeah there'd be people throwing bottles yeah, and that'd but, be the guards throwing bottles oh it would be absolutely <laughs> I mean the snare sound on that album alone on the is probably you know probably a few deaths yeah. in San Quentin is that the so. one where there's a um, unofficial version uh, where it was in. It was featured in. Um, it was fe- there was a Guitar Hero version of Saint Anger when they were releasing individual albums for rock, uh, Guitar Hero because Guitar Hero's heyday was in yep. the mid aughts and apparently to to play better through um, you know TV speakers and stuff that one of the video game people did a re reproduction of Saint oh, Anger okay. and supposedly it's way better. Than the original, like you can find it on the internet if you want it. Supposedly he got re- he de- fixed the snare and put the bass. Oh, good! And stuff it can't be worse. I tell you what. <laughs> yeah. So it has a real pingy snare that um, yeah. I don't even you know I don't think anyone's using a snare with that much ping. Even those sort of bands that play in genres where you want the pingiest snare possible, no one's really doing that. So yeah, look, it doesn't surprise me that that's uh, a shit version. Sorry that there's a better version out there than that. Um, I think for me personally, I don't think you want to do that. I don't think you want to fix it up. I don't think you want to replace that snare. I think you want it to be there forever as sort of a testament to people doing crazy things with music when you've got a big budget band like Metallica that have money to do whatever they want and someone in the studio went, yeah, 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 that's the exact snare sound we want. Yeah. Which is probably just Lars saying that's what I want. (laughs) Everyone just was like too pussy to be like, no, I don't want that. So, yeah, good stuff for my lifestyle determines my death style. Should we do... um Best song, worst song? Absolutely. Best album, worst album? Um, yeah. Hit me up. I don't have all of those, but... Uh... No, no, no. Whatever you've got, you do it. I've just got, I've just got worst song. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> you got best song or just worst I song? I don't have best song. It's too hard. <laughs> all right. Um, well, maybe you don't need... Uh... Oh, you go first. Hang on, my computer's being... Um, so I've got worst video of the decade. Um... There's a couple of nominations for this. The first one um, is Lost Profits, um, a town called Hypocrisy, Tom. Now, <laughs> are you familiar with the Lost Profits story? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Well, let's just say the vocalist from the Lost Profits was convicted of Michael Jackson-level offences. Um, no, and he's in prison, I think, for the rest of his life. Yep. So I don't want to talk too much about that. But imagine... Um, being a convicted pedophile and not too many years before that releasing a video that's kind of like a Jimmy Savile parody video where 
He is on like a kids show. He's the host of a kids show, yeah. kind of like a Jimmy Savile type character, but um, sort of saying all this sexual innuendo and being a bit creepy. Oh, so you're sort of parodying a dude that's a sexual <laughs> no. predator and offender, and it's a real creepy sort of vibe on the video yeah. clip. And then you fast forward a couple of years, and that dude is convicted of those crimes. Oh, it's God. just way too much. It's <laughs> like knowing now, sort of what yeah. he's been convicted of it's just a terrible video anyway but then that combined it's just oh, man, a real awful. fucking creep fest <laughs> so that's just worst of the decade in terms of like uh, it's impossible to watch um, but the other worst of the decade I think for me personally Tom is Nickelback Photograph so <laughs> the video look or at the, this photograph or the song. well the song's appalling yeah. but if you've watched the video obviously the start of him <laughs> holding up a frame with a photo in it it's been you know memed about a billion yes. times his expression is so gormlessly twatish that it became a meme yeah. and then the rest of the video is here this is a red flag if if you're if you see a guy walking around the streets with an acoustic guitar strapped mm. to his back just stay away from that guy because nothing good can ever come of it. It's either going to be oh some own, unknown dude yeah. trying to play you his songs, going, oh, check out my new song and buy my CD. Or it's going to be the dude from Nickelback going, oh, can I play a song? Either way, it's, you know, yeah, yeah. it's a sort of lose-lose situation where no one is going to come out of that well. So it's just him walking around like that and then he goes to his old school gym, I guess, and they just play the song and it's real fucked. So, yeah, just <laughs> shitty and boring. Oh man, yeah, it's not great. Yep. Um, look, yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen. I think I've. I'm imagining that I've seen it, but I think I've just seen meme compilations oh, of the yeah, first no five seconds of his stupid paddle pop lion shaped head. But yeah. Um, look, best pop song. Uh, there, there, I mean, there's some good stuff in the awards. Uh, there's, I couldn't think of a single musical genre that dominated the way grunge did in the 90s, but, you know, there was some good stuff. Paper Planes by M.I.A., you could use that to stop riots. Yep. 99 Problems, you could use that to start riots. 15 Steps, Crescendos, Aerodynamic, Everything in Its Right Place, the Soul Wax remix of Gravity's Rainbow. They're all fucking rad. But I'm going to go with the 2003 song Heartbeats by The Knife mm. from their awesome second album, Deep Cuts. The follow-up album, Silent Shout, is also fantastic. The single on that one, We Share Our Mother's Health, is more sophisticated song than Heartbeats, and also you can dance to it. But I just really like this one because it sort of cuts a bit deeper. I reckon her Karen pairs it back to reveal these sort of raw nerves of melancholy and lust and yearning and the alienness of other humans. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah, the song charted pretty much nowhere except Sveden. Although the gorgeous acoustic classical guitar cover by Jose Gonzalez did better, uh, it was also used in a very cool Sony Bravia commercial, which was played all over the world. Uh, so similar to old Scribe, that always helps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that might prove your theory that the cover is always better than the original, Certainly. at least in chart success terms. But I re it proves how strong the core of the song is because it's a completely different version. Beneath Karen Dry's gorgeous icy vocals and her brother Olof's ridiculously awesome noises and beats, 
that somehow make a marimba sound like the coolest shit out. Look, I know you hate steel drums, Ben, but <laughs> Olaf's got a knack for making various tropical-sounding instruments contrast against the sort of icy, insular weirdness of the vocals. It's like eating a Goldwood Burn Valley four fruits on a glacier yep. beneath the aurora borealis. Just like I told the chick at Woolies when I was high on mushrooms in the tin vegetable aisle. <laughs> yeah, Sweden kicks another goal. I wish they'd do more of this shit and less Max Martin. But yeah, who's your favourite Scandi power group, Ben? Were you keen to watch the hologrammatic ABBA reunion, which no, apparently is the coolest shit out? No, I, I don't believe in hologram performances <laughs> while the people are still alive. That's um, a hard Yeah, it seems a bit me, lazy, so. doesn't it, really? I think so. I think once you're dead, if you want to hologram it up, go ahead. But um, if you're just, go, oh, I can't be fucked touring, <laughs> so I'm just going to send the holograms in. I've got no time for that. So, uh, look, it's obviously rock set. Um, I mean, they're the hardest of the of the Scandin- the Swedish crew, mm-hmm. but um, Scandinavia in general just um, the, you know they, they hit pretty hard don't they? across, their across all the genres. So for sure, um, yeah. Maybe it's all that training they get at the Eurovision Song Contest. I think so. Pushing them that the UK's failure to take the Eurovision Song Contest seriously may explain their lack of worldwide chart success in the recent years, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe if they did a bit more of that yellow fox, gay, banana-related dudes in suits <laughs> rap folk action that, you know, does so well at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, what else have you got? You got anything best, worst song? Um, worst song of the decade. Yeah, let's do it. <sighs> Tom, look... The worst song of the decade is pretty clear, but as we mentioned before, <laughs> Crazy Frog is sort of off limits, I guess, due to the, uh, mm. the non-musical and more commodity nature of the song. Um, and it, it isn't Who Let the Dogs Out that, um, that from the Baja Men yes. that's particularly bad. Or Crazy Frog, um, Axel F. But the unholy allegiance of... Crazy Frog featuring the Baja men <laughs> who let the frogs out oh um, takes things to a level that I think if played too many times, uh, the earth may sort of collapse in on itself in sort mm. of a black hole type situation. Now, if you've you've heard um, who let the, Who's Let the Dogs Out, obviously. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Imagine who lets the dogs out, but then having Crazy Frog just after them saying who let well actually they've changed the lyrics to who let so the Baha men sing <laughs> who let the frogs out and then crazy frog just going meh, 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 meh. that's the song wow. it is that's, beyond shit that's pretty bad it's pretty fucking <laughs> terrible but it's off limits because you know we're banning crazy frog from, from yes. being that so my worst song of the decade Tom is if you're familiar with it um, Alligator the whistle song don't know that one um, imagine D tier, maybe even F tier <laughs> Eurobeats with alligator, yep. um, spelled incorrectly as well, might I add, just saying, blow my whistle, baby. And then it's just someone oh, with a whistle going, yeah. whistling. Peep, 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 peep. Just whistling with a shitty yeah. like referee whistle over yep. Eurobeats for about five minutes. And then, and then alligator comes in with, well... You know, I don't like to use the word rap, but it's some sort of <laughs> yeah. pseudo rap. It is 
just appallingly shit. Yes. So, and the thing is that while even the black eyed, and you know, this is probably a stretch, but I think even Will I Am, no, we've heard how unself aware they are in in the interviews, <laughs> but even with that boom, 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 there seems to be a, a little bit of playfulness with it. Yeah. Even though it is total shit, and he do, Will I Am does sound like he, you know, believes that he's changing the world with this sort of stuff, <laughs> but. There is a little the Black Eyed Peas with Fergie. There is a little bit of playfulness in their music. Yeah, Alligator yeah. is playing a straight bat on this one. Yeah. He is dead serious. Um, he looks like a sort of a dude that was rejected from sort of like a a corn cover band maybe. Mm. Like there's a bit of an off-brand new metal look to him, uh, and he he looks as serious as music gets. <laughs> While he's just playing some beats that he got off a sort of free beat CD, uh, yeah. and then whistling over the top of it, so. And as we all know, as serious as music gets, is as serious as cancer. <laughs> exactly. This black box. Rhythm is a dancer. Yep. Told us. Yeah. So for me, I listened to a few songs that I thought were pretty bad, um, and this <laughs> is definitely the worst one I that I heard. That one. It's fucking terrible. But um, there were a lot of scooter. Songs mm, yes. that I checked out as yeah. well, which were pretty bad. Um, in the sort of the same sort of ilk of terrible. I could imagine them shit. doing a remix of the whistle song. Yeah. Also, if you're not familiar with sort of ravey stuff, there was a period when it was considered acceptable to bring a whistle along to enhance, you know, your participation in yeah. dance music. That period was called 1989, when ecstasy was still novel, and you'd get life-sized. <laughs> Lifesaver sized yep. fucking white doves for five pounds at the rave, and then you, nobody gave a fuck what the whistle sounded like. Yep. And since about, you know, three or four years after that, anybody who brings a whistle to any sort of dance body thing is going to get a punch in the face because it's fucking irritating. So, Alligator was about 15 years yes. late on this. Mm, um, and really played into the entire irritating as fuck part of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, very dark days. So, that's that's for me, worst song of the decade. Worst number one of the decade. This is, this is a tough one as well but uh for my mind tom i I think it's really difficult to go past um i wish i was a punk rocker yeah flowers in my hair i had a look through the list and you know it's easy to shit on the black eyed peas because they are fucking terrible but there's something about that song that's just (laughs) so irritating really obnoxious um it has no music for a start there's just some clapping in the background or whatever the fuck it is and then the lyrics are so inane that it makes yeah. um, the Black Eyed Peas sound like, <laughs> you know, a sort of Bob Dylan type poet, I think. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like she's tried, whereas the Black Eyed Peas just sound like they're phoning it in, so you expect it to suck. But like Fergie, you know, like yeah. she's, oh, I don't have a first three verses. I'll just say, oh, shit, 48 times. Yeah. That'll fill it till I get to the bit about London Bridge. What does that mean? Don't care. But that yeah. one sounds like she's trying to say something and it's just inane terrible well there's a lack of knowledge of punk music that's so you know <laughs> yes even, even baseline whether you believe of. her excuses or not it sucks either way it sucks whether you do believe her or whether you don't believe her it just doesn't make any fucking yeah, sense yeah anyway it sucks um yeah, I'm glad she didn't go on to do anything else because I think it's that bad that uh, yeah. it's everything that she got post that she sort of deserves which is nothing I guess so there you go what do you got for me Tom? Um, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Look, this decade had some tough times. It truly did. What shit up, boom, boom, pow, all my humps. What about <laughs> punk rocker? <laughs> what about Life is a Roller Coaster by Ronan Keating, <laughs> DJ Otzi's Hey Baby, or his other song? 
Chocolate starfish in the hot dog flavoured water. Get monked. Yeah. David Hasselhoff's cover of Jump in My Car by the Ted Mulry Gang. Yeah. Nizloppy's The JCB Song, which is often used in emergency rooms on overdose cases to induce vomiting. Rude by Magic, the master recording of which was discovered in the underpants of a dead hippie. Or The Animal Song by Savage Garden, which makes me want Darren Hayes to get disemboweled by a jaguar. Yep. Yeah, with the superabundance of choice, I had to go personal again with this one and vote for one that just gave me the shits that I can't even fully explain why, which is Hey There Delilah by the Plain White Tees, a band whose name, if anything, oversells the level of excitement they're capable of delivering. Yeah. Obviously, the song is a twangy, god-awful pile of shit about a relationship that never existed from a virgin in a punk band named after the Coles brand clothes his mum is still buying for him. But what sets this one apart from your average Black Eyed Peas audio shit blast is the stalking scenario played out in the song. (laughs) Now, sure, we make a lot of hilarious jokes on this show, Ben. Sometimes people grab my arm in the street, pleading with me to be less funny because they just can't physically handle it. But normally, when we joke about a song involving stalking, it is just a joke, even that one by the Billy Ocean impersonator. who, as far as we know, is still not being found guilty. No. But I'm sorry to say that the true tale behind this song paints a much darker picture. The title, Hey There Delilah, comes from Delilah Di Crescenzo, a very successful professional runner who just missed out on the 2012 Olympic team in America. Mm. She was back home in Chicago while on break from Columbia University. She had a boyfriend already, but met a guy at a party who was in this band called The Plain White Tees and told her he was going to write a song about her. She left immediately, as you would. Yep. But a few months later, Tom Higginson visited her house to drop off a CD. One of the tracks was called Hey There Delilah. Hey there, Delilah, what's it like in New York City? I'm a thousand miles away, but girl, tonight you look so pretty. Times Square can't shine as bright as you, I swear it's true. Hey there, Delilah, don't you worry about the distance. I'm right there if you get lonely. Give this song another listen. Close your eyes. Listen to my voice, it's my disguise. I'm by your side. Now, clearly he is by her side in the next apartment, breathing through the holes in a rubber pig mask as he methodically installs a webcam in her adjoining toilet wall. The whole Chicago thing is an alibi that will fool nobody in court, and none of this is to mention the general shitness of the rest of the song, which contains lines like, Hey there, Delilah, you be good and don't you miss me. Two more years and you'll be done with school and I'll be making history like I do. Which presumably made Delilah think, wow, for a child molester, this guy's a really patronising, delusional, narcissistic dickhead. (laughs) Or, a thousand miles seems pretty far, but they've got planes and trains and cars. So that's a patronising pedophile who's just stepped out of a fucking time machine, apparently agog at the miracle of internal combustion. (laughs) Or, hey there, Delilah, I've got so much left to say. If every single song I wrote to you would take your breath away, I'd write it all. Even more in love with me, comma, you'd fall. A statement which manages to threaten his underage victim and the listener and the English language with an eternity of suffering. But Tom, you're being mean. This is romantic. It's like a Hugh Grant movie. This isn't really written by a stalker about a chick who he met for two minutes at a party. Hmm, okay. Delilah, I can promise you that by the time we get through, the world will never ever be the same, and you're to blame. Ooh. Mm, So he kept their lungs to use as oven mitts. But do you think they ever found the rest of the body? (laughs) Just Just the lungs. I mean, they do make good oven mitts. You've got to dry them out first, I've been told, by the guy from Plain White Tees. Yeah. 
That's it, it's two a minutes shit song. at a party. Had a boyfriend. Look, it's it's a it's a fucking terrible song, but I'd never really um, looked into the backstory. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just horribly disturbing. I knew, yeah, I remember the song being terrible. Look, I may have exaggerated slightly, but that last, those last couple of lines are fairly chilling to me. They, yep. they sound a lot like a manifesto to me. Yep. Also, the song just makes me want to punch a fucking hole in a wall. It's so bad. And it was everywhere. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we've got to compare. So the lyrics from your worst song of the decade... <laughs> Um, and look, I, with the whistle song from Alligator, obviously it does feature a lot of whistling. Um, mm. That's the main bit. But when Alligator does drop his rap, um, <laughs> Tom, it does feature the lyrics, blow my whistle, bitch. <laughs> yep. Open up, put it in. Let's begin. Blow it like you mean it. Blow. Mm. So, I mean, that, that could mean anything. As it works on a lot of levels. So, But yeah, Alligator. <laughs> um, and then the rest of it's just... Now you're doing it like you're supposed to. Now you're doing it. Just blow a little louder now. Blow your whistle, bitch. Blow the edge up like a laser-guided missile. <laughs> so Alligator is very okay. much a, a, a lyric smith, a wordsmith. Mm. Um, not great, but there's not so much of a stalking element. No, to this, so. at least he's uh, directly instructing someone to perform oral sex on him. Yeah. You know, he's up front. Well, I, I think if the video is to be believed, it's just blowing a literal whistle oh, I think okay. so because there's a lot of whistle in the, in the video so he might just actually mean you know oh, okay. blow that whistle so. I'm not sure what alligators genitals look like so perhaps they do have you know sound producing pieces. yeah but yeah no this is much creepier he, he claims to be a thousand miles away but he's fooling no one he's obviously jumped straight on a train and followed her to New York so he could you know <laughs> sit in a park behind a newspaper with holes cut in the eyes and just following her around yeah yeah, it just keeps me... I don't know why, it just keeps me a really bad vibe. Have you heard Ms. Loopy, the JCB song? No. Oh, my God. That's a particularly weird one. I thought about doing that. It's probably a better song in songwriting terms. It's like... Well, we were talking about it before with... Um, oh, fuck. I couldn't remember their name. Mumford and Son and... Uh, uh, the fucking... <clears throat> the three guys. The Kings of Leon. They're like... One, once every five years, somehow, there's, a, there's allowed to be one folk number one (laughs) you know and that was this British one it's another UK shit song it's about this guy having a having a day off with his dad and he gets to when he's a little kid and he gets to sit in the his dad drives a JCB like an excavator and he gets to sit up the front and goes long but yeah it's very very nauseatingly sung he kind of does it in this cutesy little kid ish cockney voice like this fake it's just yeah it's very irritating yeah absolutely (laughs) Yeah, I, I have heard that. It's, it, it <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. also got this shitty cartoon. It looks like a bad... It's like one of those bad videos that if you let your kids watch, you know, the shark... The, oh, the, Baby Shark, yeah. The baby Shark video, but you don't keep monitoring them and it just keeps going Looping. to next suggested yeah, yeah. video. Like, you come back in the room 20 minutes later and they're watching some Taiwanese thing that might be a kid's cartoon based on a pirated copy of a pop song from 10 years ago or it might be some sort of CGI recreation of a real life murder that happens but (laughs) the characters change to cartoon animals exactly and you leave it on for half an hour more and it's just a guy reading out Mein Kampf so (laughs) the algorithms seem to be skewed in such a direction but Mm. um, 
I also had uh, I, the King Missile, uh, what the fuck was that award? <laughs> sure. um, the Moldy Peaches, Tom, who's got the crack, if you can remember that. Oh. I've mentioned it. I'll put it in the playlist. Uh, it is one of those just, what the hell is this? I remember the, song, the band title. What was yep. Who's Got the Crack? Is um, it Irish crack or just crack? It's just crack. Oh, okay. Oh, um, so they're just asking you who's got the crack because I yeah. want some of the crack. Okay. I think so. <laughs> is this real weird? It's sort of, it's, you know, sometimes you listen to a song and it's like, is this from 1991 or is this from 2013 yeah. or is this yeah. from this year? Like you can't quite tell yes. Are they doing where it's on from purpose, and what, or is it I, I don't know. I don't know. It seems a bit weird. So um, I just wanted to mention that to throw into the place. Did you have like a best album or something? Did you end up having that? Because I didn't have one. But if uh, you've got, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know if anyone needs to hear that. I, I was just going to say, um, there was so much good stuff uh, album-wise. Like, yep. the albums were on the way out. Uh, Chuck Klosterman wrote a good article about Chinese democracy where he was saying, like, this might be the last album that people have really waited for, like this, an eagerly oh, awaited... that long? <laughs> yeah, as a, as a single thing, you know, yeah, like, yeah. because... I mean, I guess you could say people are awaiting Donda... Two yeah. or whatever, but they're sort of awaiting it the same way they're watching a train crash and waiting for it to stop. You know, like it's kind of an ongoing yeah. process. They're not. It's not like this product that's going to come out at some. Point. Oh, exactly. I mean, and especially the way that Kanye releases music these days, where he'll well, he he, he brings out his own knockoff iPod yes. to put it on. <laughs> but even before that, he, he you know, you release the album and then he's like. Oh, the, that verse is a bit whack. So he'd go and re-record it, or yeah. he'd put a bit more in a song, or cut a bit out. So you'd listen to the album on a streaming service, and then you might go back a week later and go, "Wait a minute, there's like two extra songs, and that bit's different." So yeah. it's a work in progress. Whereas Chinese democracy, once they press those discs up, <laughs> That's it's the, there forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's only those ten years to get it right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, you're right. Well, it's, by that logic, that would make this decade like the last decade of the sort of album as a product. Of course, you know. Yeah. And there was a lot of good stuff, like Discovery, Rated R by um, Queens of the Stone Age, 1999 by Cassius, The Isness, OK mm. Cowboy. I might be wrong. Attack Decay, Sustained Release, Turn on the Bright Lights by Interpol, Idealism, Kid A, In Rainbows. Uh, but yeah, I was just going to be honest and go with the album that I listened to the most number of times, I reckon, that decade, yep. which would have to be Hail to the Thief by Radiohead. Uh, it's nobody's favourite Radiohead album, but it came out shortly after I moved into state for the first time. I could only bring like three CDs with me. Yep. I didn't even have a computer, let alone the internet. And so when it came out, I had to get it, even though I was unemployed and penniless, and it just lived in my little discount Kmart yep. <laughs> secondhand uh, hard rubbish CD player just for like a year. Like it's too long. The track programming is all over the shop. It's sort of the, the, the songs go, you know, the, the mood changes all over the place, and there's no cohesive theme other than Tom York should probably stop watching the news so much. Yep. But fuck, it really does have some good stuff on it, I reckon. It's one of those rare albums with maybe too many cool ideas. Like yeah. maybe they should have split it up like Kid A and Insomniac. But I still do love it. I don't play it that much these days. But it, yeah, it just reminds me of a time when rent was cheap. I had a 30-inch waist. 
and all I had to worry about was two major international wars and all those sneaky Sharia Muslims that were definitely going to swim over and kill us all any minute now. They you were. just wait. It's a clash of civilizations, Ben. Just ask the smartest men on the internet who were later proved right when that exact thing happened. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We should have listened to them, you know. Now, remind me, Tom, was In Rainbows the one that they released for free to download and you could name your price? Or was that... Yes. This, no, yeah. In Rainbows was the one. That That's probably... That's something else yeah. we haven't talked about. That's that that was an innovative yeah. uh, thing at the time. Radiohead just dropped the album for download. Yeah. Pay whatever you want. You pay nothing. Yep. You can pay hundred bucks. Yeah. And I think that um, I remember Radiohead saying afterwards that you know they I think the average price they got like ten bucks or something per download, like yep. the average. So you know, so it sort of averaged out to being pretty yeah. much what people would probably pay for like a yeah. down. You know, so name your price, and so that's yeah, that was no, that was at that the time was, super innovative. Yeah, I thought that was a good compromise between the old model and like the shitty U uh, two <laughs> giving it away for free whether you fucking want it or not. Experiment. Oh, that's the wackest release of the decade. Yeah, that I think. Yeah, where that they just threw it on. Fumble. Was that this decade or was that? I think that was, was that the early... one after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but um, yeah, no, it like yeah, and there was like if you wanted a fancy vinyl version, you could pay for that, or there was like an extended. What did they track. do with Hail to the Thief? Was that just more of a traditional release thing? They just they just said it's out now. Here's some CDs. It or was more sort of... traditional, yep. but it was after. So they did OK Computer, that was the huge one. And then they did Kid A and I Might Be Wrong, which were the sort of experimental electronic yep. ones. So Hail to the Thief was back to more guitar rock yep. stuff. But it's very angry and kind of all over the place, probably because of what was going on in the world, as the title would suggest. Yep. But yeah, it's got some really excellent stuff on it. It really does. In Rainbows is a better album, but I just, fuck, I listened to that so many times. Like, I had nothing else, but yeah, it just time travels me back to that place. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... Tom York even he released a solo album on a BitTorrent client at the same time. Remember that around the same time? Like I think oh it, yeah, he released his album and said you can just download it off a torrent site and then you can yeah. PayPal me some money or whatever. I can't remember the payment structure, but yeah, they you could definitely really just do that. They were trying stuff with internet shit. Yep, they had a they've got a they had way back then they had a sort of online community and they put heaps of effort into their websites like they would make these really cool looking websites that would update constantly and the members of the band would sometimes go on like chat stuff on their sites as like you know as other people so they could you know like under it yeah anonymous names which also kept the fans hanging around and that sort of thing so yeah they actually had this kind of online community but probably because they're all secretly nerds but yeah yeah. But yeah i mean yeah like that stuff they they sort of that helps you be a bit ahead of the time eg figuring out that that's a cool thing to do instead of just making people have it on their ipod or doing ipod commercials which fucking bono was doing around this time they were uh they were one of those early you know, you remember the iPod ads with the white, yes, black silhouette, white iPod and stuff, and then yeah, you two were licensing their songs out. You know, and I'm sure they told themselves, "Well, I've got an iPod; it's a cool invention." But at the same time, you're already going, dudes, licensing shit out for ads. That's is already starting to look bad. <laughs> oh yeah, this is a young band's game when you know you've got you need the money and you've got nothing to live for. Exactly, exactly <laughs> right. So, Tommy, I didn't have an album of the decade but I did have a single of the decade uh, so I just mentioned that really quickly you know as we mentioned before with Cisco I like when an artist evolves we saw him move from 
the thong song to La Thong, operating in a second language, really sort of developing his work, his style. And for me, the, the song of the decade shows another artist that I enjoyed back in the 90s, um, Guru Josh, with his hit, Infinity, some of the sexiest solo work known to man outside of Rex and Effects' Rump Shaker. Well, in 2008, he made a comeback and he released um, a new single by the name of um, Infinity 2008. So he'd reworked his own song, he'd done a cover, and as you know, the cover's always better than the original, and for my mind, a cover of your own song is always better, because you've had, he's had 18 years to sort of really work on it. He's released that in 1990, he said, wait a minute, that was fantastic, it's a 9.5 out of 10, how can I take that to a 10 out of 10? Worked on that for 18 years, released it, and it's a bona fide classic, it's my song of the decade. It's you know my song of the 90s as well and the 2000s. So one can only hope he re-releases it again. I know he's dead now, but hopefully he gets a chance to drop it sometime before his death or even after death. Or maybe Lou Baker can incorporate it into one of his songs. And we can continue to love Infinity as the song of the decade. This decade, next decade, every decade until the end of time, Tom. So that's my number one song of the 2000s. Um, cool. Well, thanks for listening. Have you got anything else? No, no, no. Sorry about that bit about the album at the end. That was a bit indulgent. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Um, yeah. So we'll put together a playlist with all the songs we've talked about. Sure. Um, there was so much shit this decade. It's it <laughs> was had a lot. to really narrow it down. Yeah, but, it was all over the place. All genres, all bouncing around. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about any idol fuckers in this final episode. No, we, or there any were too metal. many number one songs yeah. during the course yeah, with exactly. that crap exactly. Um, but yeah I, I couldn't believe it when I sort of started thinking about what are some really bad songs and then um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I, then, I discounted and I, them I put yeah. them aside because otherwise it would have just been yeah exactly all reality TV shows uh, yeah. so yeah so thanks for listening we'll be back um, soon with the next decade 2010 so we're we're getting close to present day we've only got mm. 10 years and then another couple of years, the next Soon decade. Soon you'll be able to talk about Tones and I, which I know oh, yeah, you're tone, really looking Tones for. and I is coming next decade, I think. So that's exciting times. Or was that 20? I can't even remember when it was. It feels like a thousand years ago. But um, Little Nas X, we'll get to talk about him sure. at some stage as well. Yes. Did it, Do you think Little Nas X, did he have to, did he have to phone up Nas and say, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. to call myself Little Nas X? <laughs> Is that how it works in hip-hop sort of circles? Maybe he was called Little Nass and he was like, no, you're going to have to... Put an X on there. Yeah, people will think you're my illegitimate son. (laughs) son. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, cool. All right, thank you. Bye. See ya.